It's the longest episode of Open Loop's Conversations That Bend. That's right. It took sex coach and quantum poet Simon Welsh to join me for an episode that brings together conspiracy, spirituality, the unexplained, and all sorts of taboo in one place. It's your late night talk show for the shamelessly fringe. I'm Greg Bornstein. If you like this podcast, share, rate, and leave a review. And now, I present to you, along with Simon Welsh poetry, Game of Clones, a song of sh and sugar. I consider it an affront to my family that you haven't heard about Anchor. It's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain, okay? Let me let me just lay this out for you. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And, and get this, okay? Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money, moolah, from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. All right, today. On Open Loops, we have Simon Welsh of Simon Welsh Poetry. Uh, He is a quantum poet, uh, a sex coach, a spiritual leader, uh, all kinds of things. Simon, thank you so much for coming on Open Loops today. You're welcome, Greg. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, you know, I am, uh, uh, full disclosure, like we met through facebook uh, a mutual friend uh facebook friend shannon eastman was like hey can you blow this guy's mind in an hour who thinks they can do it and you were the one you were the first person that was like i could do it in 30 minutes <laughs> which like definitely hooked me and then you know uh we also we talked a little bit before the interview and you started the conversation by being like greg there are two kinds of beings in this earth spiritual and then there's people without souls they're, they're like the souls and the soulless and i i feel like you know our initial like pre-conversation before we talked was sort of your uh i mean this is what you told me yesterday when we spoke you said it was like greg I just need to get a sense of which kind of being you are. Are you of light or are you of like soulless? Um, I'm gonna start uh, here. I have to interrupt you for a second. I knew, I knew that I would like you. I just needed to know why I would like you. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, really, I'm curious about this classification of, I, I oh man, this is going to go right for the heart of like the conspiracy kind of stuff. But you know what? Let's do it. Let's delve right in. Soulless versus soulful. Why are there just two of these beings on this earth? I wouldn't say there are. I I wouldn't say there are just two, and I wouldn't call them soulless and soulful. I would call them spirited and spiritless because the oh, soul okay. is something different. Um, yeah, how does this happen? Where do these like how do these two forms evolve? Well, 
As far as I can tell, there are I, a finite number of people on the planet who uh, agreed a long, long time ago to incarnate and to reincarnate again and again and again. And we can see this as an actuality with people like the Dalai Lama, for example. Everyone is comfortable, pretty, well, everyone uh, pretty much in the Western world, I think, is comfortable with the concept that there is this man who gets old, and around the time of his death, children are brought forward, always boys, because the Dalai Lama always reincarnates as, as a man. Um, and one of them will have already begun to have flashbacks of his previous lives as the Dalai Lama because the, the soul of the spirit is already migrating across. So in a sense, this child is like an empty vessel who knows, who has been educated since birth, that his job will be to potentially be the chosen next vessel for the Dalai Lama, right? Right, right, right. Now, we all get this concept. We've known it for quite a lot of years and go, well, that's really cool. Isn't it nice that we know that can happen on Earth? Yes. Now, why do we then think that it doesn't happen to all of us and that the only difference is that he has this seeming benefit of this consistent memory stretching across lifetimes and we get amnesia every time we get reborn that's more likely than he's very very special right there wow how do you right? how, do, how did you come to that i mean uh probably a lot of weed maybe mushrooms <laughs> who knows um but but it's uh it's a it's it's a necessary tactic sometimes i mean i'm certainly an advocate of certain types of drugs. I wouldn't like to call them recreational drugs. I would like to call them teachers because one thing that they can do, if not abused, is take us outside of ourselves so we can see how the earth operates from an external, almost an alien perspective. Mm. You know, I wrote a story once about a little fish called Bolo. Um, well, he might have another name. He might even change gender. At the moment, it's a little boy fish anyway, and he's a flying mm. fish. Um, and he, the story starts with him swimming around and he loves to swim and it's just amazing. He's delighted by everything. He once had lots of brothers and sisters. He was a part of a little school of siblings or a shoal, if you will. And um, eventually they all disappeared, died or swam away. And he's just a little lone, lonesome fish, not lonely as such, but he's on his own. And he just loves every day waking up, stretching out his little fins and chasing sparkles. When he's not eating food or sleeping, um, he's chasing sparkles. Now, he doesn't know what sparkles are. He doesn't know about sunlight or the top of the ocean. He's lived in the water. He was born in the water. He doesn't even know what water is. It's all around him. But, of course, because he's never left that environment, it's absolutely invisible to him, right? Right, right. Now, he's a flying fish. And the interesting thing about flying fish is that there comes a point when they take their first flight. There's a point when they're, when they're born, they've never flown before, and they would go through a substantial amount, I believe, of their little fishy childhood before the process of uh, transformation occurs in them for the first time. And it's always a response to a predator. So what happens is the predator is suddenly there. The fish goes, <clears throat> the adrenaline releases and wakes up these cells in the flying fish called chromaffin cells. Hmm. And the chromaffin cells basically turn the fish. It's like the fish suddenly discovers for the first time. Imagine if you were a conscious little fish and suddenly it turns out you're a transformer and you're turning from a robot into a car. Right. And you're like, right. what is happening to me? Oh, my God. So in this story, this little fish is swimming along. He loves the sparkles. And one day he wakes up and he's swimming along and he suddenly sees this new thing, this huge thing stretching out in the water. And he's like, wow, that's huge. I wonder what it is. Um, maybe it's a new kind of coral reef. And he's swimming along it to try and work out what it is. 
And it's blue on the top and it's white on the bottom. He swims along this great length and suddenly this eye just opens. And he's staring into this tiny little slit eye of a great white shark. And he's like, <gasps> and of course the chromaffin cells wake up. And as the shark slowly turns like a sort of submarine, this little fish is like, I'm going to die. This is it. <gasps> and suddenly the chromaffin cells finish their operation. And he goes, what's happening to me? The spine is going, <laughs> the wings are coming out like chitty chitty bang bang, right? Yeah. <laughs> We yeah. have to talk about Chitty Chitty Bang Bang later. Yeah. Oh, yes, we do. Yes, we do. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, so, and, and then it's almost like he's been pulled back in a slingshot and released. He just goes, Wow! And he's dashing through the water, and the shark is behind him, and the teeth are open, and the mouth is wide, and he's almost like inside the shark's mouth, like in a cartoon, still just racing forward. And as he races faster and faster, the, the water in front of him starts to swirl in incredible spirals of bright white light, and he realizes he's probably at the edge of death, and he's becoming a sparkle. He always had an aspiration to become a sparkle when he died. This is it. He's like, oh, I give myself over to the great energy. Oh my goodness. Boom. And through this portal, which is actually a course of whirlpool, which of course would create around a fish if it traveled that fast wouldn't it yeah. yeah and then pop out out just out end of chapter this is a three chapter story right in the second chapter it's just like <gasps> he's floating his wings are out he's experiencing these little hot pockets of air that are pulsing off the top of the ocean which is what happens and they just catch them as undercurrents these fish and use their tail as a rudder just dipping it into the water to change direction they don't flap they just glide and they can glide for a long time on the surface based on it being a, a nice sunny day and, and it being a nice cool afternoon and then the water just giving off that heat and he sees mountains and the sky and the sun and birds high above him and the surface of the water and he knows he's in an entirely other universe he's just overcome it's like and all the words i see it as a as a cartoon almost or a, an animation kind of like sesame street so these words like sea and sky and uh surface and air you know they mm. float around him and he sort of starts to gain these entirely new realization and maybe he's an, even as, he, as he's as he's sort of floating uh, uh gliding he's saying the words and air what a curious sound, you know, fly. Ooh, I like that one too. Yes, that's what I think I'm doing. Yes, flying, right? So it's all this new, new, new words to, 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 as a response to this new tech, this new, 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 new systems that he's suddenly being exposed to and is, is part of. Yeah. And he's just overcome with this joy and the enormity of it all. And then this, this word floats out of the ocean home and he's like "Ooh, home what does that mean home i don't know but it's got the same o as the word go so i think i should go there yes 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 i think i will i must i must go home that's right and it's almost like he's waking up from an amnesia and this pool in front of him is opening like a great swirl of bright white again like this sort of doorway if you will yeah. and he plops down through it and suddenly end of chapter chapter three last chapter he's back in the ocean, back in his home, and he's swimming around, and he's like, hang on, this is different. I mean, it's the same place, but it's, it's different. It's like somebody put lots, lots of stuff here while I was away, but, but it's everywhere. I mean, it goes on as far as the eye can see, down, up. Ooh, what are those directions? Ooh, that's interesting. Left, right, forward, backwards. I've got to give it a name. Did someone really put it all here while I was away? There's no time. I was only away for so five minutes. I don't know. Oh, hang on. 
maybe it was always here and I never saw it before. But it's amazing. I mean, it lets me float. It lets me fly. It lets me breathe. It holds me. It never lets me fall. Gills. Oh, yes, that's right. They're in my neck and I'm extracting oxygen from the ocean. <gasps> it's yeah. given me life. And it never once asked me to, to, to say thank you. It didn't, it didn't ask to be seen. It didn't need to be acknowledged. It just gave and gave, and it's still giving now. It's what a big, wonderful, wow, wet, I'm going to call it water. Water, yes. I and mean, he's just suddenly in love with the water, right? Now, he has realized now with this sort of huge epiphany, he can never be alone. And then shortly after, a little, little, another little fish swims up and says, oh, hello, you're a sexy fish. Have you got a fish friend? Can I be your fish friend? Would you like to swim with me? And he's like, yes, I'd love to. No, I haven't got a fish friend. I've just been on my own for a long time. Well, ever since, well, until the water, that is. And she's like, well, she, sorry, what's the water? Oh, it's all the stuff that's around us that does this and that and gives us oxygen and with our gills and lets us fly and float and swim. And she's like, you're using a lot of strange words. I don't know what you're talking about. And I don't know what this water is. Yeah. Like, have you never left the ocean? You're not a flying fish. She's like, I don't know what flying is. And I don't know what the ocean is. And this is the only place there is. And he's like, oh, well, it isn't. And she's like, listen, I still really want to be your fish friend. And I'd like to swim with you. But I'd rather you don't talk about this stuff anymore because it's making me feel a bit uncomfortable. And you're coming across quite mental. A bit mentally unstable. Don't think I like it. So if you just yeah. refrain from talking about that stuff, we can swim. He's like, okay. And they swim for a while. And while they're swimming, he's just, just so happy because he can feel the water touching him like every second of every moment. It's just always there. And eventually she goes, you're thinking about the water again, aren't you? And he's like, I'm not talking about it. And she's like, but you don't, you, you, you're behaving with the water like it's your love, like it's your, your partner, like it's your fish friend. It's like, you don't need me. Do you need me? He's like, no, but I want you. Isn't that better than need? She says, no, it's not. I don't want a fish who wants me. I need a fish who needs me. And you don't need me because you've got the water already. I'm off. Goodbye. And she swims away. And he looks after her a little. Oh, but the oh he's experiencing is not the oh of I'm being left sadness. It's the oh of I wish she could see what I could see because it is so beautiful and it would make everything amazing forever if she could see it and we'd be so happy together. And she's not ready to see it yet. Maybe she never will be. I have to let her go. And she swims off and as she disappears, he's thinking, well, I'm on my own again. But I'll never be alone because I've got the water. And then he sings his happy little water song. I've got the water and the water's got me as he swims away into the distance, completely happy because he can never be abandoned. And I wrote this story, never any more detailed than that. It's always a story that I tell. It's never a story I've written down. Um, <laughs> as, a, as, a, as a story to illustrate what unconditional love would look like if we called it something else or God or the universe this invisible energy force that we're all in as we walk around on the surface of the earth, it's around us. But for those of us who haven't left the earth plane ever, it's like as hard for us to see as water is for a fish who's never left the ocean. Wow, wait a minute. So you're telling me that that story you just told me, was that the first time it was ever a fish? What do you mean? 
Like, like you said, you've never written this story down that exactly. I, I, I told, I, I had that idea as a story. It came to me as a sort of vision of a sort of a cartoon or an animation about 10 years ago. I have told it hundreds of times. And every time there's a little, little tiny difference here or a tiny difference there, but it's pretty much the same every time. And it's always told like that, like the way I just told it to you. Oh, but I've okay. never, but I've never written it down because every time I write it down, the magic of the telling has gone and people who read it go, it's not as good as when you tell it. So I scrap it and don't bother. That's and every now and again, yeah. I, I have another crack at it. But when I write it down, something always gets lost. It just means it's not ready to be shared outside of me telling it as a um, present tense casual narrative yet. That's all that means. Yeah. For, yeah. for whatever reason. I don't know the reason. Yeah, I, I I don't think I need to. <laughs> well, we're gonna get back to like the differences between the spirit and, and the spirit and the spirit list, but I am kind of curious because this does directly relate to um how you would define quantum poet. Well, okay, so I started to learn about quantum physics as a layman and i will stress now that i am a layman and i always will be because i'm never going to be a quantum physicist per se right um and i was probably about 18 and youtube was just available as a thing that had some really quite interesting content from so many different multiple sources and um i had my own computer in my bedroom that probably ran windows 95 or windows 98 or something Right. With a nice dial-up modem. And I discovered a video on YouTube where two cartoon quantum scientists were arguing with each other about whether it was a wave or whether it was a particle. And I didn't really understand the argument. Is it a wave or a particle? I didn't really understand the, the concept of wave and particle. And the easiest way, and it took me years to understand the concept because it, I wasn't really looking for them. But every now and again, I would see something, a video or something, which would add more context to it. And yeah. I understood that a wave is best uh, visualized as the machine that monitors your heart in a hospital where it goes up and down. And a particle is most easily visualized as either uh, uh, electrons circling an atom. Or is it, uh, is, it, is that right? No. Yes. Do electrons circle an atom? I think they do. Please tell me. They yeah, do. yeah, yeah, they do. That sounds uh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got all planets uh, circling a sun. Same thing on the in, inner cosmos and the outer cosmos. Inner space is identical to outer space. That's hilarious. We don't talk about that in science, do we? That's just brilliant. Um, <laughs> but that's because we're all part of a fractal pattern that goes infinitely forwards in the outwards direction through the electromagnetic spectrum and infinitely inwards internally through collapse down to the smaller level of the fractal pattern through gravitational pull. This was discovered by Nassim Harriman some time ago, who's an amazing uh, internationally acclaimed now. Um, what would you call him? A quantum physicist? I don't think so. I can't remember what his scientific title is, but he basically worked out how to answer all four of Einstein's unanswerable field equations. Yeah, uh, yeah. And it, it kind of puts the Big Bang Theory to bed once and for all. Um, <laughs> for anybody counting, you know. we're less than 20 minutes in, and you've definitely achieved the goal. So good, wo good work. Um, okay. <laughs> oh, that's what the theme of the podcast was, wasn't it? We've done it in 20 <laughs> minutes. I was going to do it. Yeah, we did it, baby. Okay, but we haven't really talked about the beginning and the end. Um, no, keep going. But, yeah. But... Um, Yes, I think I derailed myself slightly. What were we talking about before this sort of... Uh, <laughs> no, no, you were talking about the, uh, the fractaling and the quantum. Why quantum poetry? I'm very okay, curious Okay, about okay, okay. So, so when I sort of looked into quantum physics further, I discovered that basically quantum physics allows the imagination to make universes. So if you want to sit there and imagine 
uh, like in the film Sliding Doors, where a, a moment happens and at that juncture, time fractures and becomes parallel timelines running alongside each other in uh, uh, different vibrations of reality that all sit in the same time space, like pieces of tracing paper on top of one another. Mm. Sometimes bleeding into each other, sometimes running completely independently and separate from each other, all being run by aspects of our own individual consciousness. It's like each person is the center of their own universe, right? Yes. Ego-driven people believe that they should be at the center of everyone else's universe as well. <laughs> Heart-driven people understand that although they are at the center of their own universe, when they bump into another human being, two universes collide, and the only place we can have peace with each other is in the parts of our overlapping universes where we both agree on things. And that's called consensus reality, right? Yeah, yeah. And consensus reality changes every time somebody is added to the group. And then you look, stand outside the planet and look at the Earth from a distance and you see that there is a consensus reality that everybody shares. We all agree that gravity will make you fall out of the sky if you take, walk out of a plane that's in the air. We all agree on that. That's part of consensus reality. We all agree that uh, war kills people. Mm. Right? That's consensus. We all think that the world is corrupt. That's part of consensus reality, right. why it's corrupt, how it got corrupted, whether it's always been corrupted, whether humans did the corruption or have been corrupted themselves by something external. Those are all up for debate. But yeah. the consensus reality says all these things that we agree with. And the thing about consensus reality is that it only works if everybody believes it. And ever since the beginning of the lockdown, People who are spiritual and believe in things like uh, the awakening or the ascension or the returning of Christ, you know, it could be religious people, it could be uh, spiritual people, it could be conspiracy theorists. Interestingly enough, if you get really spiritual, it will lead you to conspiracy theory. And if you get really conspiratorial, it will lead you to a spiritual awakening. The two seem to be always inextricably intertwined. Yes, yes. I, I was going to ask you about that, actually. Like, it, it's just like, oh, oh, I was looking at Trump and now suddenly I realize that I'm learning about zero point energy uh, being the, the, the petrol for my heart that has 40,000 <laughs> yeah. of its own neural pathways and can actually take on reorganizing entire chunks of the matrix by working with the code rather than the output. That's fucking fabulous. You know, it's like, God, <laughs> ooh, I was just doing a bit of homework and now I've suddenly got the power to move reality around me to get it to reflect how I imagine it will be. Oh. Rather than to feel like I'm the victim of a reality that is happening to me that I don't like. Yeah, yeah. So are you doing this work by, so, so when you're writing poetry, is that your, uh, how much of an effect is it having on the entire reality for everyone? Um, sometimes quite a lot. Sometimes none at all. It depends on the person's perspective. Like, I was in London years ago. Uh, I probably was about 20, I don't know, four, five. I'd started to write spiritual poetry. It wasn't the only poetry I was writing. Um, but when I say spiritual, I mean it's got a spiritual takeaway. So it could be about um, sex, or it could be about uh, children, or it could be about unicorns, or it could be about um, a man who beats his wife up. But always there's a very pokey look at something that says, are you happy? with yourself are you authentic could <laughs> yeah. you do more would you like to take off your mask now it's it, these but we, you never ask the audience these questions directly because that's rude and invasive and uh, it robs people of their 
their right to choose, of their consent. So you tell the stories about other things and then people can see their own journey in the story and they know they're being spoken to directly on the subconscious level, but they don't have to feel exposed or embarrassed so they can really enjoy the poem. Take the data, the core key spiritual data, it's dropped inside them like a seed. And then as long as they water that or ask, you know, questions just the odd one did i like that poem why did i like that poem you know later when they're on their own that yeah. seed will start to grow into the apple tree of their own understanding have Maybe. you studied hypnosis at all because this is exactly what skilled hypnotists do um to a degree i mean i used to love watching darren brown i think he's absolutely fabulous. oh yeah he's the best because uh, he's, he's so good he's so good with hypnosis and nlp and suggestion and just 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 and a, he's a wizard and yeah. he maintains that he is not as well. He's just <laughs> right, right. Um, well, um, I was going like, to say your fish story was a great example of uh, people may have heard of Milton Erickson, who was the uh, is supposedly the founder of conversational hypnosis, indirect suggestion, using metaphors with people as a way of getting them to actually have change at the unconscious level. And I feel like the fish story is a perfect example of what people people would call an Ericksonian metaphor for change. Like you told the hero's journey in a way that was engaging, but also like they'd be identified with the fish and, and uh, you know, go through the different stages. And then by the end, like I came out for sure. And I think this is a credit to you, Simon, as like a storyteller, as well as like a creator um, uh, with a bit of an expansion. So I feel like what Good. you're speaking to about spiritual poetry is that. Um, and I wonder, is quantum poetry and spiritual poetry, like, on the Venn diagram, is, do they overlap? Is there a difference? Like, how would you tell? Oh, no, they absolutely overlap. The thing is, what does spiritual even mean? It's different things to different people, right? Yeah. If you join a spiritualist church, that is a religion of spirit. Yes. And it will yes. have some fundamental core belief systems in it that are probably a bit too fundamentalist for me. Yeah. Because it's an organized religion. I have probably been to a spiritual church once. I think there was probably moments in there that moved me and moments in there that made me cringe. But we've always got to take the shit with the sugar, right? It's like yes. we can't just filter through and say, well, I only want those bits. I mean, going off point, that's what Brené Brown uh, comments on when she's talking about uh, depression and uh, medication in her amazing uh, The Power of Vulnerability talk that she did, which was yeah. her first TED talk, which just shot her into visibility all over the world i'm sure you've, you've seen that yes yes of course and she talks yeah. about she talks about um how the reason that antidepressants don't work i mean sure they work with some people to prevent them from killing themselves while they get a particular kind of help and then hopefully get off the antidepressants but anyone who leans into that system as a uh, a daily for the rest of my life thing will be destroyed by it spiritually because what Brené Brown discovered is that, you know, people who take antidepressants, they, they want to numb some aspect of their past, their pain, their trauma, or their vulnerability. But what she worked out in her research, which is obvious when you say it, but unless you say it, people don't realize, and I didn't realize till I heard her say it, is that you can't selectively numb. So when you numb, you can't numb pain. You can only numb feeling. So you'll numb pain, but you'll also numb joy. Oh, as well. yes, yes. And you end up with this very bleak line that you live on that doesn't have any real ups or downs. 
while you spiritually die. <laughs> like, yes. not, no good, baby. No good. Don't do it, baby. Um, like, <laughs> no. Um, but, you know, I've got friends who've taken antidepressants. I've got some friends who, who um, not that I can think of any of them in my head right now. Like, maybe I don't anymore. But I have had, and if I had a friend who took antidepressants, I would say to them, are you looking at this to, as a means to an end, as a bridge to an out? And if they say yes, I let go of worrying about the fact they're taking the antidepressants. I oh. trust them at their word and I go, okay, good. Wait, when you say an out, what do you mean? I mean uh, out to a place where you don't need them anymore, where you're taking oh. them for the next three months because you feel utterly shit and you're also seeking some kind of trauma therapy or whatever you need right. that's actually going to help you unpack your brain. And maybe when you start unpacking your brain, you're going to need to have switched off all your emotions because the first few looks are going to be like X-rated, terrifying, uh, like <laughs> woman in black, horror, horror, horror on 34th Street. No, that was a miracle. Just in this Pandora's box of your own mental craziness. You know what? I, I would want to take the edge off if I was looking in there for the first time. And once you get used to the fact that you are wrestling with demons from your past or childhood abuse or parents that ignored you or being starved or being locked in a... A cupboard like Harry Potter, uh, or just being told repeatedly that you were not good enough by parents mm. who thought that that was a good way to raise you, to make you try harder. All these things create trauma that makes us want to put it all in a box, shut the lid and say, I'm an adult now. I don't ever need to go back there. But when you do that, you lock your inner child into a matchbox and your inner child is your access to God or the universe or real creativity or connection yeah so the cost is so high so yes if someone tells me they're taking antidepressants i will ask them is it a means to an end and the, the end is using them to get off them while you do the hardest parts of the beginning of the examination of yourself wow wow, wow, they say wow. yes that's cool great antidepressants rock yes but if someone's taking them because their doctor has said this is the only way for you to live with this um pain what the doctor is actually saying is these taking these drugs is the only way for you to live with this matchbox that's always having things spill out of it into your conscious field and causing you to self-harm or behave badly or lose a job or go on a bender or whatever hit your wife right right hit your children have sex with someone from the office and then tell your wife you were at a conference you know whatever Right. All these habits, all these behaviors always come from our unprocessed trauma. And the number, the amount of many things we will do to avoid acknowledging that that is even a thing. Yo, <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. Loads of blokes would rather go out and fuck some, someone else and, and get caught deliberately, almost subconsciously, to ruin their marriage rather than go... I think I hated both my parents while they were growing, while I was growing up because we were all Jehovah's Witnesses or whatever. I don't know. It could yeah. be anything. It's like, well, the amount of damage people do to themselves and their loved ones when they won't look at the, the, why they themselves are hurting, how old they were when that particular vibration of hurting started and how to go back in time. This is where the quantum field comes in. You could use a memory as a doorway to a realization that puts you back in the driving seat of a place that still exists in the present moment in some other linear timeline, right? So who's to say that thing that happened when you were four isn't happening right now somewhere? So jump there. Make a change, like the butterfly effect movie, which I thought was very clever. Um, <laughs> you jump with your yeah. current brain back into, into a memory. You make a change. 
I have done this myself before and it works. I have had visualizations of things that happened a long time ago. And when I got back into my body after the visualization, just sitting at my desk, I could feel flashes that felt like new memories, alternative memories from a different timeline being inserted where the different versions of events had created different results. It was like I could remember the old versions and the new versions. And I remember thinking, wow, either I'm migrating some of my consciousness across from a different timeline where this damage wasn't committed because I went back in time and made that change, that alteration, or yeah. I have got such an advanced right brain that I am making shit up so fast it feels like I'm having a cosmic experience. I don't know which. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like what I imagine a quantum poet does. But that, and, and I can see timelines and I can see futures. I can see eventualities. Um, my mother used to say to me, Simon, it's all about outcomes. You need to work out what you want and then reverse engineer it to this moment and then work out what to do one thing at a time until you get there. And I always found that enormously helpful. Yeah. Um, because I, and I love sales, right? I became a salesman when I was 18 years old and I, I was selling phones in a mobile phone shop. And it, this was back in the days just before pay-as-you-go phones, phones came out. So when someone wanted a mobile phone, you sat them down in the shop and you did an interview with them. And it was just like getting a mortgage. You had to credit check them and, and um, you got commission. And I got sent to Oxford for a two-week training course where ambassadors from Vodafone and Orange and one-to-one uh, -one and... Uh, um, What's the other one? BT Cellnet. See, none of these networks exist anymore in England. Um, well, Vodafone obviously is a great big global monster, but um, that's, that's something else we can talk about. Not today, though. Um, and um, I realized very quickly that the business of chatting people up, not exactly in a sexy way, but definitely flirting, and moving them from the no to the yes with language skills, watching their body language. You know, I got taught how to mirror people's body language in a sales conversation and then very slowly break away from it so that they would start following me in body language while I'm getting them to agree to all my suggestions. Right. Right. At the same time, I was already starting to write poetry of a very particular meter and rhythm that was uh, borrowed, wasn't invented by, but from Roald Dahl, who I absolutely adored as a poet and storyteller when I was a kid. And um, his poems are all 12 um, syllables, 12 to 14 syllables a line. A, A, B, B, C, C, D, D, rhyming couplets all the way through. And the thing about rhyming couplets and a perfect meter that goes de dum 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 de diddly diddly boom every single time is that your whole body as the listener starts to nod your way into a pleasant kind of agreement zone where you are now changed in your brainwave patterns to alpha from beta, or maybe it's the other way around, I can't remember. And you are very suggestible. So yeah. I used my sales skills to help me become a better poet because I do have an agenda. In my poetry, I want people to buy everything I'm selling because I'm selling really good shit. I'm selling the <laughs> shit that teaches people how to do their own fishing, right? Yeah, it's not just yeah. about coming to the poet and feeling full when you walk away. It's about walking away with a fishing rod and going, ooh, thanks. Totally. I can recreate that myself if I want to. You didn't just show me the trick. You taught me how to do it whilst you were on the stage, whilst doing the trick. Like, yes. I, I, I do magic and I do it without a curtain so people can see. And they also see me fall on my face sometimes. And the way I get up after I fall on my face is tantamount to levitation. So it's so cool. It doesn't matter that I fell on my face and I don't have to be embarrassed and no one minds. It's, it's showing that the process can be as elegant 
as the result, even with all the mistakes. In fact, sometimes because of all the mistakes, because when you look at a mistake for what it really is, which is a learning tool, you immediately start using it for what it's for. And then everything that you get given, mistakes and all, becomes very useful. And the output is just splendid. Interesting. The universe doesn't give us ingredients we don't need ever. And if we don't put them in the soup, it's because we couldn't work out where to put them in or what they're actually for. That's it. Wow, 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 wow. Do you Alchemy think- is about using everything, everything at your disposal. Not all at once. You know, yeah. if, you put tooth- if you put toothpaste in the strawberry jam, it won't be good to spread or do your teeth with. I did yeah. that when I was a lot. I used to- <laughs> um, um, but... Um, yeah, so the idea of quantum poetry for me as well is it always, it's about vibration. So I, I listened to this guy called James. Uh, James, um, what's his surname? I think it's like Mahu, M-A-H-U. And he is the facilitator, organizer, uh, creator of a series of websites called Wingmakers, the Wingmakers website, the Lyricus website, and the Event Temples website. And I've stumbled on him in about 2008 And it was a live interview with him and his web developer, Mark Hempel, who was quite a good interviewer, but kind of quite shy and and didn't quite know. James was very big and bright. And he's got a very deep voice, James has. And basically, I think he's like (laughs) a cosmic digital angel or something, because the way he answered uh, Mark's questions put goosebumps up my back and gave me epiphany after epiphany about the dark forces, the the waking up of the spirit, how we engineer ourselves as, as authors of a story that we're also in. I didn't even know how to think along those lines before. Right. I was going to ask he, about the language of light. This is the language, right? The language well, of light I, stuff? Well, I've called this the language of light uh, while I use it to write poetry, but I got the structure of the language of light from James, who talks about the six heart virtues. The six oh, heart virtues of that. appreciation, compassion, forgiveness, humility, understanding, and valor. Mm. that's it now he did a whole session on these six heart virtues and i used to sit there listening to it and draw pictures of myself as a stick man with these six bubbles floating around me with these different um i imagined them as sieves right so it's like sieves all around you like to pour water through and as all the incoming data comes in it passes through the sieve so if someone comes to you with something that's resentful you know it passes through your sieve. It will pass through the compassion sieve. And what you will see is not a person resenting you, but a person who is hurting and needs your love. And it won't be an effort. It will just be the way you see it. So if you can use these six heart virtues as filters, and every time some incoming data arrives from a friend or a family member or a loved one or the TV or whatever, person in the street, phone call, if you can consciously remember that you've got these amazing six heart virtues spinning around your heart, almost like a sort of a six-sided shield around you, yeah. and, and, and anything coming in that doesn't fit with your slowly but constantly ascending internal vibration gets flipped or pushed through one or more of these sieves to bring out the vibrational quality in you that neutralizes it, flips it upside down, turns it into love, and then pours it back out. The heart has the ability to do this kind of recycling on a profoundly deep level. Yeah, how do you get really good at that? How, do you, how did you really get the ability to just do that automatically? 
I don't do it automatically at all. <laughs> I, am, <laughs> I was wondering I am, if you do. <laughs> I am not ascended. I am not a guru. And if you don't believe that, you can absolutely speak to my pornography habit about that. That's fine, right? Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I, I would uh, rather refer to myself. If, if <laughs> anything, do you have a sieve solution for that? Yes, I, 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 I do have a sieve solution for that. I started to write porn poetry, where I took some of the most graphic, exciting, <laughs> oh, based, gosh. sexy things that I'd seen. Uh, and turned them into poems that were totally narratives and stories that sound just like everything else, like the Roald Dahl, wow. but that call into question people's sexual authenticity whilst appearing to be a poem that just sounds like an audio story version of some X-rated porn. Oh, no, that's interesting. That's so, yes, I have flipped. I have flipped. Also, my Trojan horse, my sex education model that I've built that's tantric massage and conversational coaching using a combination of uh, the language of light and disruptive technology. Um, oh, the porn poems come in very useful. And they're not narrated by me. I have a whole alter ego called Rex Denial, and he's a bit of a cockney geezer. And, you know, if another man comes into his field in any way that could even slightly be perceived to be arrogant, I will look at him with a look that says, excuse me, mate, did you realise you were standing on my dick? Could you take a step back, please? Thank you very much. And it's not even with words. And then I smile at them and they know who's got the biggest one in the room and they won't try and challenge me again. There we go. I'm Rex Denial. Now, I, Simon, Greg, I do not behave like that. The idea of walking around and, and having that level of bravado and arrogance does not appeal to me because I'm not interested in other people taking me down. But mm. Rex goes around enjoying destabilizing other people by being a little bit of a pervert, a little bit of a, a visual undresser of men, of, of women, of everybody. He's not a lech because leches try and hide in the shadows while they do it, right? Yeah. He's, very, he's very overt. He is quite happy to stand in the spotlight and say, ladies and gentlemen, I am a pig and I am very fucking good at it. <laughs> wait, wait, <laughs> when does this guy come out? Like, when does this guy come out? To when I get asked to go to a, a party or a, a festival, perhaps, and I'm performing, if I want to do a porn poem, I will put my hands over my face after explaining to the audience that I'm just going to go away and get Rex. <laughs> and then I'll just jump in. So that he can own that and I can comfortably afterwards say, no, darling, that wasn't me. That was Rex. He's not here right now. But if you'd like to leave a message. <laughs> and it just keeps me off the hook. Not that I need that anymore. But there was a huge part of me for many, many years that felt very, very shameful about sex, about being gay, about my body, about my cock, about not knowing how to meet other people emotionally, mentally, about not letting anyone really see me. And it was such a baptism of fire working through all of that. And uh, Rex was the beginning of that. I refused to acknowledge that the reason I had a porn habit at all was because the kind of sex that I actually wanted. I couldn't bear to the idea of going to, to get that because that would make me like all the other cruisy, faggoty, slaggy gays you know and i would, would rather hate all of them and be an internalized little homophobe pointing at all the gay men who were having the kind of sex that i wanted rather than owning that the reason i didn't feel comfortable doing it myself was because i was scared of hiv and aids fair play at the time it was very scary back in the late 90s it's changed now the whole landscape's changed anyway um because mm -hmm. i felt uh, uncomfortable with no clothes on Used right. to get laughed at at school for having tits. I used to run super hard after sports just to get in and out of the showers before any of the other boys came back. Traumas like that don't leave you. So you have to do the work later if you want to transcend them. 
And then when I looked out in the school system and realized that sexual education most of the world over is taught by people who aren't having any, possibly have never had any, or have had some sort of sexual trauma happen to them so that they've got a massive problem with it, either raped or abused or molested or whatever. It's like, I'm thinking, where are the people who are ex-sex addicts and uh, ex-prostitutes? Because those are the ones who know the real answers. And these are the people that we shame. They've got all the data. And I'm like, oh, interesting. There's a market. So I turned a sex addiction, a sex addiction, into a a a, 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 a teaching model, and I yeah. turned a porn addiction into beautiful poetry that reveals people to themselves whilst making them feel really sexy and really uncomfortable at the same time. Delivered by Rex Denial, this alter ego. So yes, oh. everything can be flipped. And when you flip it through the heart, it always comes out good, number one, and it always shows you what it was always trying to be, but that it was your shame and your desire to exclude it from yourself and say, no, this is too shameful, this isn't a part of me, I don't want it, I don't want it, that turned it into the twisted thing it then became, like a secret porn addiction, or a sex addiction, or going down to the fridge in the middle of the night to eat a whole cake, or whatever it is that you do, the secret things that you do that seem to be out of control, that you don't want anyone else to know about, all of them are flipped of creative aspects of you that you stamped on when you were younger or that somebody else stamped on when you were a child and said, no, that's shit. You're never going to get anywhere doing that. You need to become a banker or a uh, accountant. And those are just childhood fantasies and we can't all be Peter Pan, grow the fuck up. You know, that gets sent to you when you're a kid. You will stamp on your own inner child until your creativity ends up coming out in the form often of addictions that are simply representing the space where you refuse to love yourself inside. That's what addictions are. Yeah. Yeah. Now, so, now wait a minute. Um, this, this, really, this is really fascinating. I'm wondering about the spiritless people. Um, the people without spirit, the people that, that, you know, like are irredeemable because what it sounds like, and and this is what's interesting to me about this. I mean, I have to tell you, Simon, I was once in a, uh, I was in a show off Broadway that was called Caligula Maximus. It was like so fun. It was a circus run by a guy. I mean, the premise was that it was just like, if Caligula had one night before he died, what would his live circus be? Um, and it actually featured a porn star in it like part of the billing was like there's a porn star in this off-broadway show and you know i was uh, it was like 21 at the time i remember like quartering this woman justine jolie she is awesome a great great person i remember quartering her and sitting down and being like okay i want to know what's going on with this porn world i want to know all this stuff and i have to tell you like most open-minded, most giving, such a lovely human being, all this stuff. And that was one of those key moments of, look, I was 20. I didn't really know the world that much, but you hear what society tells you is bad. Society tells you that prostitutes are evil. Society tells you that porn stars aren't to be, you know, like cherished unless they're, you know, uh, <laughs> it's funny. People's opinions, porn, star, uh, porn stars changed around as soon as uh, Stormy went after Trump. Um, but like, like a great example of just the way perspective shifts so quickly in a different context um for me i was like wow this person is actually like this could be a friend this could be a a a person that i geek out on about like star wars and comic books and all this other kind of stuff um Mm -hmm. and she happens to like have sex with girls for a living on camera (laughs) 
So, yes. here's, so <laughs> that's what's interesting. What you're, you're redeeming a lot of the things that society tells us we should shame about, but you're also saying that there are spiritless people. Yes. Okay. So here we go. Here we go. And I'm reading this to you. I'm reading this to you from the Montauk website. M O N, as in Monday. T A L K. dot net. If anyone wants to look at this, they can go to Montauk. dot net. Click on the tab that says Matrix, and then on the bottom left, scroll to the bottom of the page, and there's a whole massive section on spiritless humans. <laughs> okay. Great. Yeah. Tell me. About empty these people, people. Empty people. Puppet people. Cardboard cutouts. Drones. Organic portals. Organic. See, there's another word for spiritless human organic portal oh my gosh this website background, looks amazing <laughs> background background characters why do these terms even exist because out of necessity they had to be invented by those who independently noticed the same puzzling phenomenon one for which there is no official name some people seem to be missing something very important inside while they are not necessarily any less intelligent successful or physically healthy as anyone else, they nevertheless show no indication of having any higher components to their consciousness. The idea of empty people first dawned on me, blah, 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 blah. Eventually I realized that the same root condition was present in some others who were not outwardly psychopathic or sociopathic, but whose lack of heart was masked by a well-adapted social exterior. In other words, what uh, psychiatry would diagnose as APD was only the more extreme criminal sloppy manifestation of a condition that otherwise expressed itself more widely in a socially acceptable and less incriminating manner. The latter is what may account for the body of empty people present in the population today. The behavior tends towards being glib, shallow, I'm skipping through here, egotistical, narcissistic, mundane, predatory, and materialistic. Sometimes these traits are camouflaged by a polished social exterior, but anyone with a discerning eye can see through the disguise. They lack individuality, independent thinking, and are strongly biased towards holding a herd mentality. They lack comprehension of anything beyond the material sphere of the five senses and have no interest in such metaphysical matters except as flashy accessories to boost their social image. They also appear entirely incapable of empathy, soul-searching, and willful self-sacrifice. Nevertheless, in the presence of others, they can put on a flashy show of concern, distress, or altruism for the purposes of social manipulation. For example, crocodile tears to elicit sympathy or doing something nice for another solely to guilt trip them later and extort a favor. Uh, psychically scanning their consciousness reveals something interesting. There is a certain simplicity, flatness, and inertness to their essence, even if their intellects are highly developed. Unlike other people, their conscious energy is more diffuse, dull, impermanent, and amorphous, rather than solid, sparkling, crystallized, and concentrated. Put another way, their minds are like sand castles instead of real castles. There is something animalistic and rudimentary piloting their bodies. It seems they have conscious awareness just as plants and animals do, but not conscious self-awareness as humans are supposed to have. There is an important difference between awareness and self-awareness. I could go on, but we've only got nine minutes left, and I don't want to read too much. No, 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 man. Work. Hey, look, but, I, I, first but, of all, but I, I mean that it. this goes on. That is the first five paragraphs of a a thirty-page document on this website. First of all, this website looks incredible. I've never heard of this Montauk, and I, I can't uh, wait to check out more. It's, uh, but that, that 30 pages is all about spiritless humans. And it's not a judgment these people can't be saved. It's an observation. There are people who are born who do not have 
spirit that arrived any earlier than say maybe a few months before the woman in question gave birth and will not hold together as conscious sentient spirit very long after they die that means these people are not subject to the laws of karma they don't have to worry about past lives they certainly don't have intuitions that come from any past life learnings they did no empathy no compassion so when somebody who is spiritless gets caught doing something that they shouldn't be doing like stealing or lying their only thought will be, how do I not get caught next time? I don't like the feeling of getting caught because it means their identity. There is no identity for them housed in their spirit because they don't really have one. Their identity is all based in the ego and the ego is all about survival of itself. How do you, so do you not, know these people? Have you met one? Have I meet them, them all the time. Yeah. Okay, so if I met a spiritless human at um, a conference, I might get up and do a poem on the stage. And they might, they might come up to me afterwards yeah. because they want a selfie. And the reason they want a selfie is because they want to show they were standing next to me on their Twitter feed or their Facebook feed. Now, on its own, that doesn't mean anything. But when they say, gosh, you do remember a lot of words, don't you? <laughs> it means they completely miss the point. How do they do, do people? When you I don't have that very often anymore. People are like, what a story. What yeah. an amazing story. I, I love that little boy. I love that little girl. I love that unicorn. I love that um, dude by the swimming pool who got hit on by his best mate while the wife was egging them both on after football practice. Don't even know what straight means anymore. Sorry, Greg, just dropping that in there. That's one of the porn poems to challenge people's perceptions about their sexual persuasion. <laughs> Otherwise known as a poem that has a few times got completely straight men to want to go to bed with me straight after the telling of the poem. That's wait a minute, too. wait a minute. You've told this poem. <laughs> this is very interesting. So you've told poems before and converted. Is it converting? It wasn't a conversion at all. No, it's not a conversion. Or is it it's just opening them up? Yes, it's just giving. Can you? Do you have to bleep any of this afterwards? No, <laughs> I don't bleep it. I'm going to say it's explicit for sure. Okay, okay, okay. So, so, so basically, it gives permission to a straight man who has always quietly, subconsciously wanted to suck a cock, but just didn't want to be gay, to do so. <laughs> wow. And there's quite a lot of people who are like, well, I can't be gay because I don't want to wave a, a, a flag around at pride and I don't want to cruise in the bushes and I don't want to put on Judy Garland shoes and get all camp. But I do like the idea of wrestling with other dudes and maybe having a cheeky snog and maybe sucking some cock <laughs> and maybe feeling what it's like to have someone hit my prostate with theirs. Um, but if he starts whispering, I love you in my ear, I might be throw up and have all my homophobia come to the service and then beat him to death. So I want the feelings, but I don't want the connection. Oh, you know, wow. that's, or, or I do want the connection, but I want to connect with a man during sex like I connect with a man who's on the opposing team in a, in a game of, of, of touch rugby. Yeah. Come on, then. Come on, then. If you think you're tough enough, rawr, and they jump on each other and there's testosterone and people have bruises afterwards. But it's all very manly and good, right? That level yeah. of testosterone exists for straight men around sports, around wrestling, around um, what else? I mean, how many straight men watch WWF? Right, a ton. That's right, the thing. right, right, a ton. Right, there are men in lycra pressing their genitals together while they roll around in fabulous passion as part of a dance that isn't even real because the whole lot's pre-rehearsed and staged anyway. 
and uh, sometimes they get erections and no one really notices and they don't often get erections but that's not because they're not turned on it's because they take loads of steroids right <laughs> yeah, they all love it and it's got a level of intimacy in it that is uh, forgiven or excused because the activity is so manly it's almost like you get to explore homoerotic urges without anyone calling you out for it do you think you're one of the few poets that actually gets straight men turned on? I couldn't possibly answer that question. No one has ever done surveys. Yes, possibly. But then who knows, eh? I mean, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I wondered if this is a unique phenomenon. Like, like could No, this feel- is a unique phenomenon because I got bored of no one ever acknowledging how funny and clever it is when you've got straight porn and you've got lots of guys having sex with one woman at the same time and when two of them are pressed uncompromisingly together whilst enjoying this woman at the same time there is you can tell the difference between the men who do not like those positions but they're getting paid a lot of money to do it and men who are really enjoying rubbing themselves against each other in a very small space whilst pretending it's all very heterosexual until and I saw this in one piece of porn once with them what's her name aurora snow Oop. um and these guys are having a moment and she's like excuse me guys mind if i join in and everyone on the whole set roars with laughter because everyone's everyone was just about to see it and call it and and for whatever reason maybe because it was good they left it in and there was this incredible authentic you could feel the whole community of these people who have sex together but but kind of live together and work together and have known each other for a long time and trust each other all flooding to the surface it was beautiful if you can even call it that when you yeah, yeah. But, and i saw that moment and i'm like i want to capture that in poetry because that's worthy of um being seen that's a really beautiful thing yeah. This moment of two guys getting caught being a little bit gay, but with the same woman, it's fine. It's all right. No, it's just, um, just a little bit of an over-friendly gangbang. Nothing to look at here. Please move on. You know, I mean, it's like, yeah. And, and, and there's an awful lot of straight men out there who are straight by virtue of the fact that they would end up with women rather than men in long-term relationships. But what they want to enjoy sexually actually doesn't have an awful lot to do with that. Oh, wow, 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 wow. So wait a minute. Um, uh, do, what, what do spiritless people enjoy? Um, they <laughs> learn how to enjoy all sorts of things that they wouldn't usually enjoy because of the end result. Like, for example, a spiritless human could absolutely gender, uh, 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 not gender jump, uh, sexuality uh, jump between the gay straight line yeah. If they were interested in hooking people into marriages and getting all their money and then killing them, Where they would they be g- able to be gay just as easily <laughs> as straight if they had an agenda to marry someone with a lot of money and then kill them. So you're seeing uh, agenda. Hot. Agenda is kind of like the through line here. It's like not, not, ge- not gender. I'm talking oh, about agenda. sexuality. Uh, okay. Agenda. Yes. Yes, they have an agenda to not die. Mm. Um, to survive. To not get exposed. How did, you know, I mean, look, I know you, you believe in love. Spiritless people, spiritless people operate, I believe, a little bit like uh, 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 secret agents who are double agents undercover in the enemy base. Where do they come from? They're born like that. Apparently, in the very olden days, their purpose was to be empty vessels so that when angels and gods wanted to come and communicate with the rest of us, they were easy to jump into. Oh, but because we've 
But that makes sense to me, right? But because we've lost our faith in God and the universe and spirit, and then we've got this bizarre cabal of evil pedophile Satanists who have been pushing this very, very <laughs> there we go. There we heavy, go. <laughs> I can't help it, Greg, this sex agenda. This, they've been pushing this sex agenda where they, they, they get girls to want to have sex really early and they get boys stuck in Arrested Development age 14. And then, you know, I see it where I live. I see it all over England. I see it all over America. You know, you've got, I mean, they didn't they just Netflix just make a new TV show called Cuties? Oh, yeah, that's, I, I've talked about that on the show before. It's messed up. So, you, you know, absolutely. And then, you know, uh, DreamWorks released a, a poppy doll, troll doll, right, with a little button right in between her legs. And if you press it under the dress, she goes, ah. Oh my right? gosh! And they, they, the people busted that. It's like, are you trying to make our children into into um, sex 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 goblins or whatever? And, and all these dolls were pulled from the shelves of all the shops. And apparently, the button was just there so that if you dropped her and she landed on her fanny, she'd make a a bump ow noise. But it wasn't an ow. It was different kinds of moans and giggles. And there were four different versions of it. Every time you press it, it's a different one, one of four. And this button was never featured in the instruction manual or the outside of the box. It was supposed to be a secret fucking button. Oh, that's messed up, dude. That right? They are doing up. this in all sorts of different ways, right? The WHO is just, they've got a, a sex education suggestions on their website in their sex ed department for teaching masturbation to children as young as four. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so by a, special, these are the by spiritless special, people. These are the spiritless. Yes, they are. The people that run the world are spiritless people. They only get one go around, right? But they can go around quite a lot of times, like the Dalai Lama. That's why they must keep doing what they're doing, because they will die if they don't keep going around. Interesting. Interesting. So if we're looking at this historically, then you're talking about, you know, they were vessels for God and angels. How did it get out of whack, you think? Like, is this related well, to Atlantis and all that yeah, stuff you're talking about? And, and Lemuria. Yeah, sure. I think that uh, alien races came to the Earth millions of years ago and have for a long, long time because of the amount of gold deposits. Right. I'm not quite sure why gold is so important, but it is to do with the quantum field and time travel and space travel, a bit like plutonium for the DeLorean, you know, and back to right. the future, whatever. Right. So it's that kind of thing. So you've always had these great races of aliens coming to the earth and mining. And at the time you had Lemuria and Atlantis uh, coexisting on the earth together in different regions. And the Lemurians were an ascended species of very gentle, kind, benevolent aliens. And the Atlanteans were like <clears throat> these kind of, Oh my God, our technology is amazing. We can do cloning. I mean, they were totally like Bill Gates's probably uh, 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 um, predecessors, right? right? They were so, and this is what happens when the ego runs out ahead of the spirit. Mm. It wants to become God. Oh, let's change things in DNA. Let's put chemicals in the ground and call it fracking. Let's geoengineer the shit out of the air and then deny chemtrails. Let's do all these things. So they were cloning. They had pyramid technology, which was zero point energy, where they basically suck energy down from space through the point of the pyramid and then feed it out into the cities. And it was all free energy, very clean energy as well. Yeah. And the Atlanteans wanted to mess with the genome of the local indigenous species on the planet at the time, which I guess would have been the uh, chrome, the, the Neanderthals. I think right. it, we might have crossed over into Cro-Magnon already. I'm not sure. I don't really know the timestamps of these. But basically, the Lemurians said, don't you dare touch them. They are a, uh, a independently ascending species. They must, they will 
in their own time. And the Atlantis like, no, 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 we want to play God, we want to play God, we want to play God. And they couldn't agree. So they started bombing the shit out of each other. And there was this thermonuclear war, which is possibly where we get a lot of our deserts from. And huh. Huh. Um, uh, the Lemurians lost, and they retreated, and they left the Earth. And then the dark beings that had already been in contact with the Atlanteans basically said, right, you get the next 26,000 years. Um, you will fulfill our agenda. We're going to give you massive global international forever power are you up for this and they were like yeah yeah we are and um thus was the beginning of all this stuff and and, and atlantis was so damaged by the thermonuclear war that it sort of sank into the sea and the last of the atlanteans because a lot of them died got in their boats their big fab fabulous ships and they sailed off and they started the beginning of egypt and that's why egypt has pyramids Mm. It was the end of the Atlantean technology, but they couldn't quite remember. Their empire fell. But as they felt, Rome was rising. And that power has always moved. And from Rome, you get the British Empire and all the other international current modern-day slave traders and owners. Yes, yes. But these people go trace back all the way. And they worked out that if they keep their evil deeds really super nefarious, including child sacrifice to gods like Baphomet and Baal, which interestingly enough, a lot of statues of Baphomet and Baal seem to be uh, uh, getting unveiled all over America at the moment with that goat head and the horns. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and the boobs and the bat wings. And there's always a little child standing next to them, often with a blindfold on or something. You know, there's all these, these symbols you can see because Satanism is absolutely their new religion that they want to welcome back to the earth. It's not going to happen now. I feel comfortable talking about these things because I'm not scared any of them are going to happen anymore. Their whole plan has been derailed, right? But um, they knew that if they committed these nefarious acts, uh, and did special black magic castings. I'm sure there's some black magic involved, occult symbolism and chanting and special words, maybe, or mirrors, I don't know. You can mm. get your soul when you die to go into the body of a child that's being born in your bloodline family. So just like the Dalai Lama, these people, including, I think, the British monarchy, the royal family, and various other very high... I would imagine George Soros is on that list, and the, the Obamas and the Gateses, you know, um, the Clintons... Um, but also people whose names we don't know behind all of those who never get in the media, whose names we actually don't know. Nearly everyone we see and want to vilify is probably the minion of someone bigger than them. Right. So there's no point yes. in shouting or blaming or pointing, you know, and it might be that Barack Obama is a completely evil pedophile with a husband called Mike. It might also be that because he was passed around as a sex slave through his childhood, that he actually got any spirit that was in him when he was born literally fucked out of him. And then they filled him up with goblins. So it's the body <laughs> of Barack Obama. Are those the two choices, right? you think? They're not, that, they're not the two choices, but they are the two extremes. Right. right. <laughs> now, if you imagine okay. the people like Barack Obama and Ellen DeGeneres and uh, Sandra Bullock sitting on Ellen DeGeneres talking about putting Korean baby foreskin in her face. That I mean, to me is strange. That to me is right? very strange. That was the beginning of the reveal. This is what spiritual contract is all about. They're not allowed to take us over. We have to consent. It's our free will that keeps us apart from them. So they put out all this stuff through Hollywood and the media, getting us more and more used to guns, rape, murder, sex and death in TV shows that are supposed to be classed as entertainment, Korean baby boy foreskin in your face if you're Sandra Bullock. Um, and, um, and then by the time they roll out the new agenda, we've already agreed to so much of it, we don't know how to say no anymore. But right. if we say, I do not consent, their game stops.
Yeah, why is it so out in the open? I mean, that's that's always the big concern. Because there is universal law that even these very, very, very powerful beings have to stick to that says they must tell us what they are doing while they are doing it so that we either say, I do not consent, or they stay silent. If they stay silent, that is agreement through silence. We are complicit in the loss of our own spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical freedoms because we said nothing. Now, we can turn around afterwards and say, but we didn't realize that the cartoon of Pinocchio was actually telling us that if we hang out in this fun space with iPhones for too long, we will actually turn into donkeys and slaves. Yeah. Well, we didn't tell you that just because it was a cartoon, you shouldn't believe it. That was your choice. Oops. That's how they can get us. That's they are telling us through all these movies and all these TV shows. Yeah, talk about Chitty Chitty Bang Bang for a second, just so we. Oh can... God! Oh, it just makes me, <laughs> it makes me angry, but it doesn't make me angry. I mean, I showed Chitty Chitty Bang Bang to my little niece and nephew the other day for the first time. Yeah, I used to love watching. Yeah, even I mean, it even, even though it, though, but even I, though I, I see it as propaganda, it. it's propaganda. It's like it's all propaganda. So you got Chitty Chitty Bang Bang was written by. Um, Ah, oh, the chap that did all the James Ian Bond. Fleming. Ian Fleming, right? So, so, and, and Roald Dahl did the screenplay. Huh. Now, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang is about... Well, it depends whose point of view you tell it from. But if you tell it from the point of view of the king, Baron Bombast or whatever his name is, of, of Bul- Bulgaria or Vulgaria, Bulgaria, I don't know. It's like a pretend name that's very close to a real one. That's propaganda in itself, right? Right there. And this king has a princess who he's like in a relationship with, but he's always trying to kill her. That's never explained. You're my little chuchy face. And there's like, you know, axes dropping down on her. And then she she falls through the floor at one point. He pulls a chain and she drops through the floor. And then she comes singing back in the bedroom 10 seconds later. And he's like, I can't kill this bitch. Uh, You know, like, but what? why is that even funny? Why is that in a children's movie? And then all the children in that place, they're all hidden under the ground. Ooh, where have we heard that story before recently? Hmm. Because (laughs) the people on top want to kidnap and capture and torture and kill the children because they hate children. Children are not allowed in Bulgaria. Interesting. Right? And there's a child catcher who pretends to be all lovely and kind, even though he's got a really pokey nose, like um, Steve Martin in Roxanne. Uh, And this black thing that he wears, and this net and everything. But he fools the children with lollipops and ice creams and promises of sweeties into a beautifully coloured cart. And as he slams the door on it, all the gold and and colourful stuff falls away, and it's just a a box with prison bars with a black horse on the front, and all the colour has fallen away. And he just gallops off with them in the back, screaming, as truly rushes around the corner with her basket of apples just to see them disappear. Like, that instills trauma into children around being kidnapped. Right there. Yes. And when you traumatize people, you put them in a suggestible state. And that is how brainwashing works. That's how MKUltra works. That's how this enormous global psychological programming has happened through entertainment. I watched Out of Shadows several months ago, which is all about the pedophiles oh, in, 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 in Hollywood. And one thing I found really interesting is when that guy who does most of the talking in it, who's like a, um, an ex-stuntman, isn't he? He says, to entertain is to bind or to hold a person's attention. That's what the literal translation of entertainment is. Mm. It's about a spell. Yeah. And then he talks about the programs. Why are they called TV programs? Programming. 
It's a good point. Right? And the channels, we watch on, on different channels, downloading the information, like from Spirit. And it's called Hollywood, this place, because they used to make their ones out of the stuff. Hollywood. Interesting. It's all a black magic cabal thing. It's been so since the beginning. Now, wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. Do you have, because look, I, I've read a lot of this stuff too, and it's all, it's all very interesting to me. I always describe my position as like conspiracy agnostic. Like, oh, I like that. That's great. Conspiracy <laughs> agnostic. Listen, I don't know these things are true, Greg. <laughs> but they give me pinprick hairs standing up on the back of my neck and sometimes behind my eyeballs. And that's enough for you. That's guided you enough in your past to think yeah. something's going yeah. on here. Yeah. And you know what? I don't mind if I'm wrong because ultimately it doesn't matter whether there's an evil cabal trying to take over the world through uh, pedophilia and uh, uh, satanic worship of demonic forces or not. It just matters that the human being learns how to migrate their consciousness down out of the brain and into the heart so that the heart can become the primary driver of the human instrument with the ego stepping into a very important, the ego doesn't understand this yet, that's why it's still fighting, position of map reader. Oh. The ego will stop us walking into the road and getting hit by a car. But it's not there. Like, when you sit at your computer for three hours and don't touch the keyboard or the mouse and just watch the screen, assuming you haven't got a screensaver, after a little while, you'll find the computer going into all sorts of automatic processes, yes? Defragging, yeah. cleaning this, searching for that, buzzing away. When we allow our consciousness to sit in the mind and, and believe that that's where our identity lives, it's like we're sitting in front of a computer watching it do its automatic processes, believing that we are actually thinking that we're doing anything at all. We're not. We're yeah. just observing our brain doing its usual things and thinking that that is thinking. Yeah. It's not. It's an automatic process. But the thoughts that occur during that automatic process, if some of them are unpleasant and we forget to remember that it's just an automatic process that we're not supposed to have any emotional uh, value attached to, we can, we can get upset by upsetting thoughts or excited by prospective ideas about the day that then don't get fulfilled and we feel thwarted and we're disappointed. It's all a great big trap. So how, how do we like uh, fight back to these evil forces that we so easily seem to fall prey to these days? Oh, tell me about it. <laughs> Their traps are everywhere. Um, yeah. And I love it. I, it's like a really exciting gauntlet. Um, you know? I'm sure I wouldn't say that if I lived in a, a war-torn country where they're just bombing the shit out of us every day so they can put up McDonald's and steal our children. But <laughs> I have the luxury of, of living in a quiet little village in England yeah, and being higher up the Maslow hierarchical pyramid where I don't have to worry about my physical safety and other things like this, right? So how do we, how do we, how do we neutralize the dark forces? Well, okay. I'm just going to read you this little thing. Um, I should have prepared it. I didn't think about this. Right. So um, a little while ago, I started writing these strange little pieces of data, which were kind of like stories and kind of like lessons from the future that I was downloading or something. And I decided to say that they were all coming out of the Institute of Higher Consci Consciousness. Um, yeah, that's great. I love that. Um, it felt good. Uh, and anyway, this was the first thing I wrote as a lesson from 
There we are. Right, where is it now? This is the one. Love it. Facebook still has a working search facility. Amazing. Um, I'm still banned from making videos, though, at the moment. They don't like what I say. <laughs> Facebook, <laughs> apparently, I'm spreading fake news, fake news, fake news. <laughs> okay. So, um, here we go. Institute of Higher Consciousness, Awakening 202. That was a homage to um, Event 201. <laughs> brief <laughs> 1. So, that's a brief. An excerpt of poetry and prose from the Bridge Chronicles seen here for the first time. First imprinted in the collective heart, 36 Weimu 2146. Reflected through refraction to holographically appear below. We cannot see your comments, but we can feel your responses. The dawning of your golden age is come. The light hated, the darkness hated the light, but the light loved the darkness. So the light expanded, wanting to reach out to the darkness. The darkness retreated and screamed in pain. The light said, I love you. The darkness shuddered, recoiling. What's wrong? Whispered the light in ripples of high vibration. Get away from me, screeched the darkness. Don't look at me, it hissed. It's too late, said the light. I've already looked and you are beautiful. No! And the light, with all its heart and soul, opened out and into the absolute expression of itself and the darkness, now just a small, pale shadow, let go and fell in. The child looked up at teacher with big brown eyes. That old poetry is very beautiful, but quite strange. Why is it strange, my child? I just can't imagine a world where people thought light and dark were two different things. <laughs> I know, said teacher. That's why we call it old poetry. Wow. Wow. That is amazing, Simon. The, I, uh, yeah. That so basically, like when we pass through the eye of this needle, all the shit and all the sugar are going to get have to get married to each other. Right. There's no point in hating paedophiles. There's no point in running around saying deep state, deep state, deep state, even though I kind of want to, to a degree. I've lost my appetite for doing that now because it just creates uh, more, more walls in that division between the us and the them when actually that wall has to be broken down and the dark and the light have to get married and become unity. And then there won't be any more dark or light, at least not within the construct of a dualistic system where every action has an equal, an equal and opposite reaction. We're going to live as quantum expressions of the creator as the created, moving around in human instruments with something a bit like a hive mind, perhaps, like ants, where we build incredible things together on intuition, driven by all of our hearts, connecting to the same fucking motherboard in the sky or wherever. Um, and it's, it, that's the golden age. That's the beginning. That's the, on the cards. It's here now. Wow. I'm having telepathy more and more with people. I don't even know it's telepathy. I just feel weird feelings and my face gets hot and one eye starts to throb. And then I start laughing and write a new poem. And then some random person on Facebook goes, listen, I've been following you for three months and I love your work. And I just had this insane idea. And it's the same as the poem I've just written. And they're across still in Brazil or Chile or somewhere. And I'm like, wow, we have to speak. I have to share a piece of poetry with you. And then I read it to them and then they cry. And then we acknowledge that we wrote it together. And then I stick it on Facebook and I tag them in it and say we wrote it together or something. That's happened three times in the last six months. Wow. 
like, this is uh-huh. part of the awakening. You think yeah, the awakening totally. is happening right now. Yeah, the awakening's been happening for years, but it's getting faster now. Because yeah, why is that? Because because the quickening is quickening. Sorry, no, that's just flippant. Um, um, <laughs> it's called the quickening for a reason. It gets faster as it goes on. So you know when you're born, <clears throat> the first like, 10 years of your life are a very long time. In fact, they are your whole life so far, right? Yeah. If you imagine the time between 10 and 20, that goes a lot faster, probably about twice as fast than for the time between zero and 10. 20 and 30 goes by even faster. How old are you, Greg? Uh, I'm uh, 31, almost turning 32. Okay, so I'm 41. And uh, the last 10 years have blown by. And I speak to my parents who are in their 70s, and they say it carries on like that. No, no, it's going really fast. The faster, the, the older you get, the faster life appears to become. And the last 50 years of your life will go by in the blink of an eye when the first 50 seem to take a long time. Because the older you get, the more a whole life is. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. When you're a kid, your whole life is 10 years because you're 10 years old. That's the same as being 80 when you're a kid because you've done your whole life so far. That's what? why your perspective changes. So your relationship to time changes. So, so things get faster. So that's on an individual level. On a group level, it's like a snowball rolling down a mountain, gathering speed as it goes, right? It's also yeah. loads of stuff happening in space with full moons and super moons and new moons and cosmic yeah. beings and people from the Ashtar galaxy and the Federation of Light. I mean, I watch a lot of videos, people like, you know, um, Magenta Pixie, I'm very fond of. Yes, I don't yes, like yes, all yes, of her stuff, her, but sometimes, yeah. sometimes she just says things that make my whole spirit and soul just skip around in my body. And I'm like, I'm so glad I've got that blue-eyed sister looking into me so connectedly that even though it's a YouTube video, I'm totally getting a direct download. Like I'm having a one-to-one with her. And everything that was worrying me earlier today has just dissipated. And I'm just filled with gratitude, which is now flowing out of my heart, making me a beacon or a lighthouse, showering the entire surrounding environment in a higher vibration climate that's coming through me and then out of me like I'm a sort of megaphone for it that then bathes other people in the environment and those higher vibrations and just like if you take a horrible discordant middle uh, 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 f sharp on a tuning fork and stick it in the middle of the table pointing with its little prongs up going and then you surround it in a circle of beautiful solfeggio 528 hertz per second middle c uh tuning forks they will marinate that f sharp until it has to fucking give up and become a middle C. Yeah. yeah this right? is interesting. So You're, you bathe the yeah. environment in the, in, the cl- in the vibrational climate that you want everything in that environment. And everything in the environment eventually expresses itself with that higher vibration, including physical objects, land masses, the earth. Right? It's all to do with human resonance as well. And that's climbing inside the earth. And we're now closer to the center of the known universe than any other time in history, known history. We're moving through this very high vibrational belt of fabulous golden light. All these other, you listen to different astrologers. There's a million reasons why the awakening has quickened. But it's like, you know, it's like the lily pad syndrome. It's like the population. It's the same thing. First there was two, then there was four, then there was eight, then there was 16, then there was 32. It doubles every day. Could it be the internet? Like this thing. The internet helps. The internet helps. No, the internet, it's, it's, it's shit and sugar. Again, it's shit and sugar. You can't say that the internet is good or bad, just like you can't say Trump is good or bad. I think Trump is a pig of a gentleman, perhaps 
and a and and a wizard of a president. But he's not even a pick of a gentleman because if you hear people talking about him who actually know him on a personal level, like as friends and family, he's a really good guy. But he presents as this egomaniac. Mm. I was listening to a podcast this morning. I think it was Charlie Freak pointing out something very true, which is that anybody less than an ego, egomaniac would never have got noticed a serious opposition to Hillary Clinton back in 2016. Of course, I was thinking, yes, that's right. Interesting. There was another guy who was amazing, who was running for not even president, but something much lower. I can't remember his name. Charlie Freak was talking about him. And when he got 10% of the votes, the cabal came out of nowhere and slaughtered him because they don't let anybody get their head that high above the pulpit. Interesting. If he'd been an egomaniac, this guy, he could have defended himself and kept himself in the mainstream news, right? But if you're not, if you're not prepared to fight and do whatever it takes to stay center, you will get crushed because they have no morals. Yeah. They have no scruples. They will do whatever it takes to keep the status quo as it is. But I think that well, no, no, this is interesting. I mean, uh, and and (laughs) I was like, are we going to talk about Trump in this episode or not? But you know what? I do want to know about this because I'm curious what your perspective is. Um, Is he is why if Trump is supposedly taking down the deep state, if and again, I don't know if it's true, but if he is like, where did the deep state mess up? Because they're supposed to be in control of everything. I've never understood why. Okay, so 9-11 was, 9-11 was supposed to happen in 1999. That, that was the first mess up, I think. Okay. Um, there was also something really interesting to do with uh, the Federal Reserve uh, having some sort of expiration on their hold over the USA hmm. in 1999. And then this guy claiming the flag of the post office to become the new postmaster general to stop the deep state in England recapturing America as part of the British Empire. I don't even know too much about that, but uh, there's a really interesting video on the three city-states, or I think it's called war castles. They're they're referred to as war castles. They're Rome, London, and um, Washington, D.C., Right. They, they are they are independent bubbles where they have their own laws, their own police, and they behave in an autonomous way where they're not. Um, right. They just run everything. Right. It's very right. interesting looking at all these power structures. Um, the thing is, the deep state always knew it was going to be a gamble because there's no way they're allowed to take us over without telling us that they're doing it and giving us a chance to say no. So it was always going to be a tight fight. Right. Mm. They have put out so much miserable media over the years to suggest it's never going to happen, right? What better way to uh, convince us that the awakening was going to be an awful, horrible thing where we lose our individuality than making films like Invasion of the Body Snatchers? Right, right. Donald Sutherland, the 1970s version, is the best one of them all. They've made it a million times. The new one, which was called Invasion, was kind of good because I kind of like, um, what's her name? Tom Hanks' ex-wife. Nicole Kidman, the one that got away. Um, I don't know if she got away. Tom Tom Cruise's uh, wife? uh, Tom Cruise's wife, sorry, yes. Yeah, yeah, ex-wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I'm just going on a sidetrack there. Yeah, so Invasion of the Body Snatchers, there's bits, and they do this. They have the same scene in every version of Body Snatchers. And you know the the premise, right? If you go to sleep, they get you. So everyone's trying to stay awake and take loads of pro-plus and whatever. Yes, Um, yes. Not in in the 70s version. They just have a coffee. Um, And... 
Then the guy who's actually played by David Nimoy, who was Spock in Star Trek. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. He's like, he's like, you know, you should just give in because once you do and you, you realize you're connected to this amazing hive mind where we can all hear each other's thoughts and we're all doing the same thing and there's no more war. There'll be no more war. You'll be at peace. Just go to sleep. Go to sleep. I remember thinking, fucking hell, I'm never going to go to sleep again. This is terrifying. And then, of course, at the end, <laughs> yeah. when he's wa- she's walking around, that other woman, oh, that, she's great. I can't remember her name, the actress, but she was... Um, uh, she was the one that vomited up all the cherry stones in um, um, the Witches of Eastwick. Um, she 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 comes in at the end and she she sees Donald Sutherland and she's like David David. He takes one look at her and then he goes yeah! and she's just screaming. And of course, it's you know it's the end of everything. And this yeah. like now now the way that they talked these sort of alien creatures about how much better it would be for the human race if we just let them take us over. That's exactly what the spiritual awakening is doing to the oh. ego. Yes. The ego is like the human being in the invasion of the body snatchers. And the aliens are like what the heart is trying to do, connecting us to a motherboard. Lots of people who fight, and I'm one of these people, with this concept of surrendering to a liquefaction process where I have to let go of everything I thought made me me to fall apart, to become this primordial soup, and then to be reborn as something big and wonderful, like a butterfly. I mean, a caterpillar doesn't resist the process. It doesn't even know what a butterfly is. But did you know that when a caterpillar is in the cocoon, there's a point when it's completely dissolved? There's no bones. There was never bones in a caterpillar in the first place. There's no anything. There's no legs. There's no squishy. There's no eyeballs. There's no tongue. There's no mouth. There's no teeth. It's all one liquid in the cocoon. And then once it's completely liquid, I think it stays that liquid for like three days. And then it starts to form into the butterfly from the liquid. But it's not like, oh, the caterpillar's legs turn into butterfly legs. No. It complete And the process of spiritual awakening for people is as terrifying to the ego as the idea of being a caterpillar dissolving. Not knowing if you'll even remember what you were when you come out on the other side. So it is like trying to fight with death. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. Yeah. That's the spiritual battle that we're all in. Yeah. Wow. Wow. This business of, 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 uh, so, but, but the fact is with all these higher vibrations around us now, it doesn't take much for a person to suddenly start the process of self-discovery in their own heart. Whereas 50 years ago, I mean, I've got a client at the moment who uh, suddenly had a memory in one of our sessions. Sometimes people have uh, memories of things that they haven't thought about for ages. And it's Mm -hmm. not exactly like flashbacks or regression therapy. But when they know that I've got such a strong hold on them, like a really tight container around them, that it's safe for them to look into the Pandora's box, even if they know it might precipitate a kind of breakdown, they get brave and they look. They know I'm holding their hand and I won't let it go. And that's what Trojan Horse does. That's, that's this, this model I have developed. And, yeah, um, yeah, speak more she, about and, that a little bit. Well, because it's a, just very quickly, she remembered that one of the massive problems she's got with daddy issues comes from the fact that her father was taken away when she was young to a mental institution for believing he was the Messiah. Oh. And whacked onto a whole bunch of psychotropic drugs and stayed in a mental oh, hospital for the rest of his gosh. life. Now, in our day and age, there are many people who are coming forward and saying, I think I might be Christ. But as it turns out, what they really mean is 
unconditional love has woken up in my heart, I can feel the Christ vibration running through me. And I've suddenly realized that when he was slaughtered last time, it's because he was a single dude and he was the lamb and the lamb always goes to the slaughter. Now he's coming back. He's pissed off and he's coming back as the lion. And that lion is roaring in my heart and connecting me to other people all over the world who also are suddenly feeling like lions. Roar! And, and, and the returning of the Christ will be this collective roar from millions of mouths driven by millions of hearts all over the world, all at the same time. And when one half of 1% of the human population, that's based on an 8.2 billion person population currently, one half of 1% has fundamentally undergone the revisioning it takes to drop your entire consciousness into your heart space so that you are no longer being driven by the ego, but the ego is like, oh, I'm being the map reader. I'm really helpful. I like my new job. It's not like dead or fighting. It's just pleased not to be trying to do the driving anymore. The ego never liked to do the driving in the first place. It was always scared. What if I'm too fat? What if I'm too thin? What if I don't earn enough money? What if I never get married? What if I die alone? Fucking hell. What an exhausting life. You don't have those thoughts anymore when you let your heart do the driving. Yeah. Ever again. It's bliss. And that is heaven on earth. It's internal. And then we can create heaven or Eden around us as an outward reflection of those vibrations getting stronger and louder, like we're, ma ma we're marinating our, our, our local environment in that higher vibrational climate. It's, it's just a kind of science and an inevitability, just like Agent Smith said, except Agent Smith said that it was an inevitability that we were all extinct because human beings are nothing more than a virus. Again, another brilliant deep state explanation of why we are not worthy of an ascension as a species. Fuck them, Greg. <laughs> yeah. Oh! Oh, they make me so cross. Because I was with them. I always watched The Matrix when I was 18 years old. I sat in that cinema seat and I watched Morpheus being given all those drugs and his eyes go all blurry. And I kind of know that Neo might come and rescue him in a helicopter in a minute. But in this moment, Agent Smith is like, there is one other creature on the earth that behaves like this, moving to an area where you multiply and multiply until every natural resource is gone. It's a virus. And I remember hearing that for the first time and going, <gasps> He's right. And feeling terrible about being human for a good year of my life. Look at what we do. We go around the world doing all these terrible things. We're cutting down rainforests. We murder people. We start wars. We take from each other. We steal. We lie. We go to confession and then we just leave confession and go straight for the nearest brothel. I mean, I, I walked to the Camino uh, some years ago and I found to my fascination that there was a special church just outside of Santiago, um, which was um, a church to have all your sins removed more than any other church in Spain. Because a lot of people who walked to the Camino, especially men, would, would stay at the brothels and they'd fuck their way to Santiago whilst essentially trying to be on a spiritual quest of some kind. And then just before they get to the gates of Santiago, they go to this church to wash off all their sins go to Santiago, get their certificate and their blessings from the, from the cathedral, and then they can go home and fuck some more on the way there. But like, it was always about emptying the toxic cup rather than getting your sins forgiven and then never committing them again. And I think that was in a way kind of healthy. Some people would call it very hypocritical. Yeah. But at the end of the day, if you deny what you need... You know, at the end of the day... Anyway, we're going down a different path, but... Um, no, no, this is good. This is good. <laughs> yeah, like at, at the end of the day, like 
if you want to fuck your way to Santiago and make every prostitute you meet feel like she's your wife and life partner from the dawn of time until death eternal, and after you've had sex with her and made love with her, and she sits there looking in the mirror and crying because no one ever made her feel that loved before, and then she realizes that she doesn't want anything less than that kind of love again, and then becomes some... You know what I mean? That's a worthy cause. That sounds great. There's a spiritual, epi spiritual epiphanies are going on there. Right. It's when people have sex with guilt and shame and misery, or when men specifically have sex because what they want to do is empty their balls. I need to knock one out. There are all these phrases for masturbation and sex that this, this sound like going to the toilet. And when yeah. a man tries to get a woman involved in that process and she lets him, she becomes his toilet. Wow. And we take a beautiful union of bodies and souls and people and turn it into a perfunctory uh, necessity where the man gets to go to the toilet and the woman gets to be the vessel for it. And it's the society that we live in has created that, 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 that algorithm. You know, men get told they're studs if they fuck a lot of women at the weekend. Women get called a whore for the same behavior because that patriarchal perspective um, causes women to not explore their sexual desires and lust nearly as easily. It is changing now. But women have to work quite hard if they want to have a lot of sex and be a CEO who doesn't get called a slut and maintains the respect of men. Mm. Men mm. don't. Men get more cred. Yeah. Do, do you yeah, think he, these days, sure. like, things have changed? Some of these roles have changed at all? Like, is there... Some of them have changed, but feminism is a fucking smokescreen for something else, which is really complicated because it's also got some important value in it. That's how propaganda works. It's brilliant. 99% <laughs> truth, 1% lie. And because there's so much truth around it, you don't spot the lie. And that's the only bit they're really focused on getting in under your, under your city walls, into your conscious or unconscious system, so that you believe it to be true. So the Rockefeller Institute sponsored... The suffragette movement. Mm, yeah. And the reason they want yeah, and the reason that they did this is because they knew that at the moment they were only taxing half the population. And if they can get women as equal to men, they can get them to go to work, they can tax everybody, double their money, and then raise the cost of living so that people have to get nannies or boarding schools for their children, and the state gets to start controlling the kids earlier and earlier. You, you, you believe that is the root of feminism. You think it goes back to the Rockefellers. I don't believe that's necessarily the root of feminism, but I do believe that that is what the Rockefellers consciously did to cash in on feminism and corrupt right. it, like so many other things have been corrupted. I was watching a documentary this morning about how rap music used to be amazing, and now it's just a vehicle for violence in, 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 in rhyme. Mm. Right? Yeah. All these things that come out, they come out good at the beginning, and then they get bastardized. They get bought by a big corporation. The fundamental algorithms that made them so amazing get taken away. It happens all the, all the time. What is your oh, look, take, take on Don, Donald Trump as a light worker? Is he a light worker? I think he probably is. Really? <laughs> yeah, I think he probably is. I mean, I have had quite a lot of women in my life, in England and abroad, come to me and say, Simon, I've been having some really weird dreams about Donald Trump. And they're all the what? same, these, these people. They're, 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 and they don't know each other, these women. I haven't had a single man come to me and say this. Always women. And I haven't had any dreams about Donald Trump. But th these women, in the dream, he's coming to them and he's saying things like, 
it's not time yet that you're doing really well or some other vaguely supportive but or they're watching him sign documents with putin on some 5d out of world chess i wouldn't surprise me if trump is actually an astral traveler and an angel and an alien all at once right yeah it you wouldn't. told me he was a five-dimensional chess player and a wizard what do you mean i didn't that? I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't make that phrase up. I'm sure you've heard that before. Yeah, I have. I have. Well, I've definitely it, heard five-dimensional chess player. Uh, yeah. I've never heard him really called a wizard necessarily, but I know that your definition of wizard is uh, kind of someone that – Someone like, who can mess around with the way reality behaves just by right. thinking and saying things. I, I'd right. say that's a wizard. Yeah. yeah. You know? Not Harry Potter. You're a wizard, Harry. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I, I sometimes I get scared with him because I want to believe in the Q movement and I want to believe that he's getting all these kids from under the ground and I want to believe that as soon as he wins against Biden, which I'm sure he will, even though the mainstream is saying that Biden's way out in front. <laughs> um, I just can't believe that's true. Um, uh, but um, I, I, I want to believe that... Um, as soon as he secured his second term, the whole uh, Epstein, uh, Jelaine Maxwell thing is going to suddenly because all these things have gone silent, right? But, yeah, I was wondering what happened with Jelaine. Like, like it was big, the, the, and the then fact it got is quiet. That, the, the fact is, the fact is, the NSA. I learned this. The NSA and the army are heavily intertwined with each other, and the, it's the only agency that the cabal couldn't control. So, hmm. what did they do? They produced Snowden to discredit the NSA to try and get the CIA to get more powers because the CIA was owned by the deep state. Wow. wow. Snowden's not a good guy. I just learned that like this week. I'm like, <gasps> really? I mean, I wasn't like, oh, Snowden, Snowden. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I was grateful to him for putting his life on the line and being called a traitor and having to run to various embassies and then all this other weird shit, you know, a bit like Julian Assange. I don't know whether he's a good guy or a bad guy either, but Snowden, the NSA is, is saving us at the moment because the NSA is the only agency that can do things without oversight by um, uh, the deep state. They were the last agency out of all the American three-letter, the alphabet agencies, to uh, get this new kind of surveillance. I can't remember what it was. And the reason why was because they were already very, very good at their covert operations. So all the White House administration of the time, which was um, Obama's administration, had to do was do the whole Snowden discredit thing, and then everyone's like, NSA are evil, NSA are evil. But actually, the NSA is, is where all the Q stuff comes out of. Trump and the NSA are, are working together. And the NSA is also hooked up with the army. And, and um, that the important thing to recognize about the army in this context is that it is made up of men and women who have already agreed quite some time ago that they would give their life for what is right. Mm. Now, obviously, people have different ideas about what is right. But these people will have this one thing in common. They will die for what they believe in, which makes them a very special kind of human being. Right? The, 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 the angelic army, you might call them. Yeah. Now, they have resisted being controlled by the FBI or the presidency for years. And now they've completely smashed away. And as soon as this new election, I think the, the, the Anthony Weiner laptop and I think the um, Podesta emails and the Clinton laptop and there's one other laptop. Oh, the Hunter Biden laptop thing? Smokescreen. Not true. Uh, uh, um, it, uh, it was all just, I don't know why. 
So wait, do you think that, you know, that, uh, oh gosh, I don't want to even say it because it's controversial. All the stuff on uh, Anthony Weiner's laptop that made those cops watch and kill themselves or kill themselves. Or, or get get killed, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but they, they did all die. That bit is true, isn't it? All the cops that watched those videos died. That is true. That's not conspiracy theory, is it? That's fact, right? They did die, I, from what yeah. I believe. Yeah, I mean, I'd have to... Yeah. Um, but that is like, you think all that stuff is actually coming. Yes, I do. I think I do. I mean, it's weird. It's weird though. Right. Because like, let's say Hillary Clinton died some years ago and there are actually now six Hillary, either body doubles or clones. Right. That is the kind of information that apparently the white hats would never want the world to know because it would just break everyone's brain. It's not that they don't want them to know like it's a secret, but it's more like they don't need to know in order for us to get this done. However, Mm. watching Hillary Clinton and um, Huma Abedin in a forest, skinning a little girl's face off so they can drink adrenochrome at the highest levels of vibrational terror, that's something we need to see. Part of me agrees that it is, if if it's even real, because... If we are going to learn to love unconditionally the darkness until we kill it with our love, we have to know exactly what we're loving. I'm like laughing out of nervousness because I feel that's insane. The idea that that video could actually exist. That that video even exists. I know, right? And then I saw this video of, I think, uh, John Podesta or or, or, uh, what's his brother called? Tony. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're twins, aren't they? There was a video of a little boy, I think, in a shower screaming and is like you're gonna call me your father and i remember watching this and almost being sick because the energy of the the verbal exchange between this child and this adult whoever they fucking were made me feel sick because the child was somewhere between terrified and furious and on the edge of fearing for his life i could hear that in the dialogue because because i'm a coach i listen to the timbre of people's voices. And I can feel what energy is driving them. That's why I'm very good at what I do with Trojan Horse. And then I cried for a half an hour. And as I cried, I sang. And I lit, I lit Palo Santa and I lit Sage. And I said, bless the children. And I said, and bless the monsters that are doing this to them because when they were children, it was done to them. Is there and any way just- those videos are misinterpretations? Like that Podesta video. Is there any mm. possible way? Mm. Totally, it could easily be disinformation by the deep state so that we all run after it and go, yeah, look, 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 and then they can disprove it and we all look like a bunch of twats. It's very dangerous to run after these videos and say they're true when we don't know because that can happen a lot. Yeah, Pizzagate just seems weird. There's just some stuff I don't understand that hasn't been explained away, except, oh, it's debunked. Like, that is the mainstream media response. It's not debunked at all, though. We know that. It just got moved on from. Right, right. That just makes me upset about this stuff. Like, why not examine it if it's totally debunked? Like, let's actually go in and explore these angles of things. As insane as they are, like, I will not be satisfied as a human being until I get proper explanations for the weirdness. The fact is, videos now can be doctored so completely that you can buy home software that makes you take a video of Trump and then make it look like he's talking about cats shagging rabbits in the forest when actually he's been talking about um, some new thing, whatever, right? And you can make it sound like him, you can make the mouth move, and you just literally record yourself. I've seen videos of this on a sort of a a green mouth screen, not a a full body screen, just a mouth screen. 
And then you can actually do a live thing where you make it look like the person's actually saying it live when you're saying it a millisecond before. Yeah, it's messed up. Then I mean, that's so now that means right that 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 facet of our technology and its advancement means that if you can create videos that are um, fake in the privacy of your own home without even having to use any fancy like Spielberg technology or whatever, um, I'd like to pay a little homage to Isaac Cappy at this point because he came out and outed Spielberg and Tom Hanks for being a paedophile and died pretty shortly afterwards. Um, he also released that video of those very little girls dressed in bikinis, hanging out in some weird underground room around a very large fountain, whispering to each other and waiting to be, I don't know, chosen, collected, whatever. Did you see that video? That was the video. I, I've never that seen he was, that and I don't want to. My God. There's no, there's no sex in it or anything, but there are very little girls. Uh, it's a room with like five little girls in it, all clustered and waiting and doing their hair and, 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 and waiting around this fountain do you get worried about getting off because you're talking about this stuff like what's the difference between you and isaac cappy he knew i don't (laughs) (laughs) i'm just a guy who's followed some rabbit holes i'm safe he knew and they needed to shut him up to make sure that other people who know don't do what he did Mm. i'm not a threat to them i've written a poem about the queen of england being potentially the um head of the ninth circle cult because in england in 2009 or was it 2011 i can't remember now no it was 2011 i think no it wasn't it was later than that because i it was 2013 so basically there was this massive investigation into the pedophiles in westminster right all the politicians and then it turned out that the metropolitan police force had lost 118 police files relating to pedophiles and westminster wow 118 missing files. Now we've got Jimmy Savile, obviously. Jimmy Savile wasn't just a paedophile. He was a complete monstrous deviant who um, he used to go to Broadmoor, which is a mental institution, and molest people there. And a whole bunch of the nurses uh, were all part of his like gang. Yeah, and how did he, he get away with all this for years? I, you know, I don't. Well, he, he was friends with the Queen. He was friends with Margaret Thatcher. They were all in on this. He he used to procure children from the Elms Boys Home for Ted Heath, who was the um, Prime Minister before Margaret Thatcher, confirmed paedophile. We've had. You know, there was Pi, the Pedophile Information Exchange, which was all the rage in the 1970s and 80s, where there's a bunch of people with quite a lot of well-to-do politicians were trying to push for the age of consent to be lowered to allow paedophilia to be allowed because love between adults and children has as much much right to be acknowledged and honoured as relationships between adults and adults. You've got in America, you've actually got an organization called Nambler. I heard about Nambler on an episode of South Park 15 years ago, and I thought it was a piss take. The National American Man-Boy Love Association. It's a real thing. Right. I have never but, understood what that organization is, why it exists, like, like, what is the goal? How is that legal? It's not legal. Well, it is legal. It... it, it when you are part of a satanic cabal that owns all the judges that you need to own, not all of the judges, but all the judges you need to own in order to get exonerated. I mean, you had like uh, R. Kelly. R. Kelly's a brilliant example. He had girls, underage girls, 13 and 14-year-old girls living in his house he was having sex with, right? Their parents right. loved it. Their parents were probably molested as children and uh, hadn't got a problem. 
It's like, oh, well, she's 14. She's already sexually active and she's been chosen by this big, hunky black man with a big willy and loads of money and gold bling in his right. big house. We don't have to pay for it anymore. She's going to end up being one of his, like, bitches in sexy music videos and getting paid a lot of money for doing that. She loves to dance. I can see how a parent who's on food stamps has their own unprocessed sexual trauma will in a way be relieved because at least you know and if you say to your daughter of 14 does he ever rape you is the sex always good and she says yes it's wonderful okay then all right so he gets busted for 60 counts of pedophilic activities in his home mm. he his 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 his, his, his attorney gets him off on all 60 counts he goes home that same day and makes a new mu music video about how the popo can't touch me because I'm big, black, sexy motherfucker and it's all about eating out the inside of the Oreo. I'm going to eat the Oreo, eat the Oreo, right? Yeah, yeah. That's all about going down on little girls. Oh my and that's a, great big, that's a great big finger in the face of the legal system that tried to stop him. 60 wow. counts wiped away in one afternoon because there wasn't enough uh, data or some of the girls retracted their statements, whatever. A lot of people got paid off, indictments are sealed, whatever. And then he goes home and makes this video about eating out the inside of the Oreo. Now, if you know that history and you watch that music video, you can see what he's doing in the video. It's so blatant because pedophilia is hailed as a, a very respectable activity within the satanic organizations that run Hollywood and the music industry and the cabal. Mm. because trauma stops us connecting to the higher self and we are easier to control with a combination of terror, fear, social programming, 5G and coronavirus vaccines. Oh, Yay! Man. Right? Like it's all, a, it, it, if you knit every conspiracy theory together, the alarming thing about them is that they all fit together so well Either all these bullshit nonsense stories are invented and just magically seem to fit together, or they fit together because they do fit together. Your choice. Yeah, I mean, I, I really am in the middle. I really couldn't tell you. Um, I, well, I, I guess that's sort of like the, what did I even hear from people that say conspiracy that, that, that is like the nature of the conspiracy theory is to try to fit them together. So I don't know how much credit I can necessarily give to like that idea. But at the same time, there are a lot of coincidences yes. that people point to that just, I mean, what, what's the cue line, right? How much before coincidence becomes something like that. Yeah, exactly. 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 Like 18 bin Laden family members were flown out of the USA the day before the twin towers came down. That's strange to me. Yeah. There was a big scandal about the BBC broadcast live from New York talking about the collapse of Building 7 prior to its collapse. That's real. That happened. Yeah, Building 7. Building, building 7, 7 collapsed with three tiny fires in there. And the, the, the BBC did a BBC live broadcast from America talking about the collapse of Building 7. And behind the woman doing the report, Building 7 still stood, which means that they made the report before it happened, which means they knew. Yeah, that it was actually, is weird about that. that there was awesome. a guy in England about 10 years ago who won the first court case, I think anyone had ever won in England, for not paying your television license based on believing the BBC to be sponsoring or part of a terrorist organization. And as a sovereign being, a sovereign child of the universe... Not a citizen. Citizen means slave. Sovereign child is much better. Um, 
uh, 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 I cannot in good conscience pay my taxes towards an organization that I believe to be linked to international terrorism and genocide. Therefore, I reserve my right to not pay. And the burden of proof, BBC, is on you to prove that you didn't know about the collapse of Building 7 before it happens, in which case you're going to have to explain how you managed to make a news report about the collapse of Building 7 while it was still standing behind the woman doing the report in the news report. And guess what the BBC did? They just said, we don't need this guy to pay his TV licence anymore, and they let it go. Mm. Yeah, you know. There are too many lies for there not to be some truth, at least in the conspiracy theory. I absolutely don't know how much yeah. is true and how much is not. So it's really very important to take things with a pinch of salt and not say, this is the truth. You can't do that. You put people off when you say that. So these are things that I choose to believe because, well, I've got two choices. Either there's an evil dark cabal that's been running the earth for a very, very long time, slowly corrupting the beautifulness of the human spirit until we all think we are shit and we all think everyone else is shit and then they can take us over because we don't believe in God anymore. Or the human race is fundamentally flawed. We are naturally selfish beings and we will all eventually stamp on each other's faces to get to the top of the ladder or the mountain if we get desperate enough because we aren't very pleasant as a species in the first place <laughs> if there's no conspiracies we are all assholes and we shouldn't even inhabit this planet and we should all be wiped out if there are we are in a deep state of sleep in a social program that we're all starting to wake up from and as we unplug we remember our divine connection and in so doing, ascend above the vibrational climate of the soup that says real life is 3D. When you die, you don't um, go on. And organized religion plays a very important part in that as well. Organized religion says that if you're good and don't ask too many questions, don't challenge authority, don't wank, and don't allow yourself any sexual expression apart from in the context of a marriage with one person who you're miserable with because your sexual vibrations don't actually match. You just met each other and didn't want to be lonely anymore and got married and then had babies and, oh, now you've got to go to work and here we are. Oh, shit, miserable. Yeah. If you do all that, don't complain, and don't get cancer. When you die, you get to go to heaven, another place. Now, that is the flaw. That is a, that is a flawed lie. The truth is that if we allow the ego or the aspect of the ego that believes it will die if it's no longer in control to die, our higher self can take over the driving of the human instrument and the ego can wake up realizing it didn't die after all. It was just terrified of what would happen if it wasn't trying to do all the driving. Right. And that is the same as the death that the Bible says we experience at the end of life before we get to heaven. We can die and go to heaven whilst we're still in this incarnation in a human body. Huh. But it's not that we die and go to heaven. It's that we let the part of us that thought we would die if we surrendered to the truth, to die, and then we can become whole. I've got a poem about this called The Rockefeller Mirror. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look. I based, you, it, on, I based it on I based it on Indiana Jones and the, uh, it was the Raiders of the Lost Ark, okay? Yeah, please. You, please. You, you ready? I'm ready, yeah. The Rockefeller, money master, continental king, 
the lord of business politics, of almost everything. The owner of petroleum, the owner of the bank, the man we love to loathe, the man we'll never thank. <laughs> he wore the finest linens and he drove the finest cars. He went out seven nights a week with shakes and movie stars. He went to all the meetings with the cream of the elite, but his hunger went beyond the need for vegetables or meat. At night, his dreams were haunted by the image of a box so heavy that he wondered if it might be filled with rocks. The box was made of iron with a lid of solid gold engraved with silver symbols that were beautiful and bold. The box was waiting nightly in the deepest realms of sleep. It was something he desired both to purchase and to keep. And every night the box would grow in substance and in size till eventually he didn't even want to close his eyes. He didn't tell a doctor or a child, Rothschild, or a friend. <laughs> he knew he'd found a special path, a path without an end. But every path ends somewhere. He must find this box and buy it, and not a soul would stop him, not a soul would dare to try it. He went to every shop he knew and asked about the box. He drew them detailed pictures, and they searched through all their stocks. They showed him boxes great and small, both intricate and plain, but none of them came near to the box inside his brain. The CIA were brought on board, and though their arm was long, they could not bring him satisfaction. Every box was wrong. So finally, one evening, in ruin by the fire, he gave up in despair. There was no one left to hire. Sir, came a voice from beyond the study door. Go away, he bellowed out. I can't take any more. But sir, came the voice, there's this woman come to see you. She says that you're a prisoner. She says that she can free you. Silence filled the room like a post-atomic blast, a pure white flash of clarity. And then the moment passed. His face was wet with perspiration rising from within. He cleared his throat and hoarsely called, You'd come. Better show her in. Later, in his king-sized bed, he lay awake in thought. What had he been shown tonight? What had he been taught? Uh, the message that this woman had delivered was unique, the kind of message no one on the earth should know to speak. Yet here it was, as clear as a crystal summer sky. The box was his already, not a thing he had to buy. The box was the custodian of truth in purest form. And as he thought this over, he felt strangely safe and warm. Hmm. He, he, he floated nameless through the realms of dream towards his prize, and now he saw it clearly. It shone before his eyes. Open, he commanded boldly. Yours is mine to see. As God is my commander, I am God, and you are me. But the box did not obey him. It had its own agenda. I cannot show you anything, it said, except surrender. Will you cast aside all ideas of who you are? Will you release your fortune? Give away your favorite car? Will you relinquish power in the name of what is true? For only then are you equipped to see the real you. 
If I showed you what's to see before the time was right, it would burn you to a cinder, for the light of truth is bright. Show me, he commanded in his mighty lion's roar. There is no path that's closed to me. I pass through every door. And so the box surrendered through the simple art of choice. It had warned him of the risks in a pure and simple voice. Bolts slid back and hinges creaked. The lid began to rise and the light of truth released and free shone full upon his eyes. He screamed and tried to break away from horror and from shame. He screamed for pity, clemency, someone else to blame. But you are God, the, the box replied. This cross is yours to bear. The world is your reflection. It reflects your lack of care. Let your actions' repercussions climb inside your heart. And if, as God, you choose it, let them blow your soul apart. No, he screamed, I shall not die. As God, I choose to live. Then surrender, boomed the box, like as water through a sieve. Pass through me and let me filter fear from your field. If you want to stay as one, you're going to have to yield. No, I can't, I'm scared, he whispered. Please don't make me go. He closed his streaming eyes and cried, I do not wish to know. But I am you, the box responded. You are my reflection, a frequency of light and sound that's wandered off direction. You are love's expression, simply waiting to express it. You live beneath the fear that has taught you to repress it. Let yourself be truth as the expression of your being. Let yourself be love. It's a whole new way of seeing. And in sudden recognition of the beauty and the grace the Rockefeller let the box shine fully on his face. His heart was opened wide in surrender and ascension. And now he's brought it back to share in ours, the third dimension. His work is subtle, soft in volume, deep in the elite. You won't see him on the news. You could pass him in the street. But the voice of truth is whispering, turning dark to light. So though some things seem clear-cut, they're never black or white. Wow. Wow. That was amazing. Thank you. <laughs> Simon Welsh, you are, uh, <laughs> I mean, what, what do you want people, should people reach out to you? Like, where can people learn more about everything you're doing? Well, I've got my poetry website, which is uh, www.simonwelshpoetry.co.uk. That's Welsh spelt W-E-L-S-H. We will um, link to that for sure. Uh, sure. What about this Trojan program? I mean, should people uh, reach out to you about that? I know we didn't talk too much yeah, about Yeah, I mean, I mean, at the moment, the website represents uh, tantric massage. So when you follow the path, whether you're a man or a woman, gay or straight, you'll end up uh, believing that what you can get from Trojan Horse is a... A uh, psychosexual bodywork experience that basically involves me climbing all over you naked uh, while I manhandle you. <laughs> uh, it, we take it to the edge of the place where sexual um, energy is so high, and then we blast it through your body, through my hands with Reiki, 
I can sometimes have little visions of little goblins in their houses hiding under your scapula or clavicles, right? And then you shine the light of truth on them and they go, oh no, we've been discovered, we've been caught, we must run away. And I can see they're packing their little goblin bags and running across the body and down the arms. And I've already pulled all your fingers and toes and you will be under instruction when you get home to get a salt water bath with either good Himalayan pink salt or some good rock salt. And because of the negatively charged ions in the salt, it pulls all those negative frequencies that I have disturbed through disruptive technology in your body out of your system via your fingers and your toes and then when you take the bath water out by unplugging it you can watch those lovely spiral swirls go down the plug hole as you bow to the goblins as they're probably quite pissed off with you but they're going down there for, for recycling and you don't say fuck off haha i've got rid of you you say thank you for your service because it's all about the gratitude because you know what you don't want them anymore those goblins but they you needed them to get you as far as this so thanks is in order. That's how we practice gratitude. That's how we use the six heart virtues or the language of light yeah. to convert every negative thought or feeling we have to gratitude by putting it through appreciation, compassion, humility, forgiveness, understanding, or valor. It always ends up as gratitude, which is the best kind of prayer there is. You can ask for things. Sure, please is a good prayer. But thank you is a better prayer because if you say thank you for things that you haven't even received yet from a space inside you that sits in the quantum field or the vortex as um, Abraham Hicks would call it, Esther, why are you not standing in your vortex? Oh, she's fabulous. I love listening to Esther <laughs> channeling Abraham Hicks. If you stand in the climate that you have already received the thing you are wishing for, you are telling the quantum field that you are ready for it to be produced now instantly we are on the cusp as a civilization of instant manifestation which is this whole three days of darkness coming where we move from 3d into 4d on our way to 5d but we have to be careful in that space because anything we imagine comes true and that's nightmares as well as dreams which is why a, a, a level of emotional self-discipline is important so since the beginning of lockdown, Trojan Horse has become a, uh, I don't want to call it a therapy model because I am not a trained therapist, nor do I operate like a therapist. I will explain, as I have to you, uh, I've told you stories today that are very personal and very private, and they're going to be shared with the world. I have nothing to hide because I have worked mm. out how to tell every story that has, a, while I was being a drug addict in London, going to sex parties and taking crystal meth, I would not have dreamt of coming on your show and talking about that because I knew that what I was doing was harming me. But now I'm out the other side of that and I realized that that was the path I had to take to take me to the doorway of hell itself to say, do you want to give that, that last percent of your soul to the goblins for one last puff on the pipe and then become a minion of the Lady Tina forever? Or do you want to put down the pipe and start walking back towards the light? That's the experience I had to have to remember that I am an angel who is worthy of love enough to fight for my own soul until my wings grow their feathers again and I can soar and tell my stories from the high places about what I saw when I was in the low places. Wow. And that's important because that shows the sinner that they can be a saint. Every sinner has a future. Every saint has a past. I am not a saint. I am still a great big sinner but no not but and i love myself greg i'm okay that i'm a sinner and sinner doesn't mean upsetting god or committing a spiritual crime as such not against anybody else to sin right is to despair it's the same thing 
And despair broken up is despair, to disconnect yourself. To sin is to cut the creation out of the loop because your ego says, no, 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 I want to do it on my own. Mm. When Moses bashed on the rock because everyone in the desert was dying on their way back to Israel and he, the water came flooding out, that happened because he said to God, I think I fucked up. We're all dying here. I don't know what to do. Please, please help. Please, please help. And that was a good prayer. And God said, okay, just bash on that rock and all the water will come out and everyone's happy. And a bit, little bit later, it happens again. Everyone's starting to die of, of, um, of, uh, of dehydration. And Moses thinks to himself, oh yeah, I know this. This is like last time and I talked to God. I just need to bash on a rock and water should come out. And he gets his big staff and he bashes on the rock and the water comes out. <coughs> and he goes, oh, that was easy. And then God goes, Ahem. and Moses is like, yes boss. And Moses, and God's like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm just bashing on the rock like you told me. Bashing on the rock like I told you. I didn't tell you bash on a rock. You called out to me and said, I can't do this dance without you. Please help. Yeah. So we danced together and we created a miracle because we were in a dialogue. And it's almost like once I show you the dance moves, you want to cut me straight out of the dance, dude. What are you doing? And Moses is like, oh, no, I don't want to cut you out of the dance. And God's like, but you just did. You just tried to recreate a miracle without talking to me like it was just something that would happen when you bash on a rock with your staff. That says to me that your ego is driving your instrument and you just want to be a wizard. Do it on your own. And Moses yeah. realizes that he has sinned in pride. Sin, not offended God. God doesn't get offended. That's a construct of organized religion, that concept. God gets offended. Mm. someone gave me a box of matches once with a little picture of a kitten on the front and it said every time you masturbate god kills a kitten and then you turn the matchbox over and it says think of the kittens <laughs> and, <laughs> i mean although it's funny organized religion in schools has taught us often that if we do this god will be pleased and if we do that god will be displeased yeah he's not a human God is zero point energy god is unconditional love god is the is the ocean in that story about the flying fish and so, God runs yeah. through us as an energy. How do you reconcile oh. the deep state for a second? How do you reconcile the deep state takeover with the Catholic Church connection? Because that, to me, doesn't make sense either then. You know, Q is always about, like, Jesus. Like, there are a lot of Q people. There are a lot of Trumpers that are, yep. like, very into yep. Jesus Christ. Yes. And that goes right back to the vatican um I, a lot of the time like what is what is going I on i don't there? think it does go, i don't think it does go back to the vatican i mean are you saying that people who are catholics believe in jesus christ yes and that therefore Generally. there's a link yeah. okay so yeah here's the thing because i know you don't like the vatican or at least you don't think they're i don't dislike the vatican but i think they are absolutely organized satanic worship and control of all the uh the shipping of the world they are responsible yeah. for all the shipping and that means all the trafficking all the human trafficking and all the trafficking of drugs and things i mean the deep state has flooded every country with different drugs to uh, uh connect with all the addicts and make sure that they don't find their way back to salvation and the so reason that addicts trump, are addicts gone no i was gonna say like if donald trump is like on the side of the Catholics in America, like then is he not partnered with some? No, no, because What's the difference? He, okay, so if there is a good Catholic out there, and there are many, they believe that Christ was a man who had the energy of God inside him, who was trying to teach people to be nice to each other until he got nailed to a cross for it. 
They also believe that it's important to work in the, walk in the footsteps of unconditional love. That is an awesome way to be Catholic. However, okay. if you are Catholic and you also believe that God hates you when you sin and that you should sit in front of the mirror in your little priest room and get out a whip and slash yourself across the back until you're bleeding to punish yourself, you've got something wrong somewhere along the line because God is unconditional love and is not even present in the room supporting you doing that. He's probably inside your back trying to shield you from the self-harm you're causing yourself, if anywhere. Mm. So... There's a real misinterpretation about what God is. I used to know an amazing man before he died called Simon Holden. He, is, he was an old man. He was, he was always an old man. He, I mean, he was 60 when I was a kid, but then he was 85. And he was a monk, a, a fabulous gay monk, um, uh, 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 old man who used to travel around England um, ministering. His perception of Christianity or God or, or, or connection or spirit in the most marvellous way. Uh, I went and stayed with him in Yorkshire in his, uh, the monastery that he, he lived in, in a place called Murfield, a couple of times. He was my sister's godfather. And I went to visit him one time and I stayed in this little room and he introduced me to some of his monk friends and so many of them were gay, really camp, really affected. I'm like, how can you be gay and be a monk? And Simon says, darling, being uh, a Catholic, being, a, being a Christian monk doesn't mean you can't look. It just means you can't touch because we've all agreed to a vow of celibacy, darling. Mm. But it doesn't stop us looking at a handsome man and, and catching ourselves in lust and going, oh, how fabulous. But then as long as we step into the part of our heart that appreciates the beauty of the human form, you can be gay and be a monk. And I'm like, oh, wow. That's very interesting. Of course, that makes sense. Spiritual sense to me. It all adds up. And then... There was one morning I was there because I stayed probably for about three days where and every morning the monks would gather at like five in the morning in their chapel on the on the uh, the grounds of the monastery. And some of the local people from from uh, Murfield Village, the older people, the, <coughs> the old men and women would come in for these very early church services so they could listen to the monks sing. And then there was communion and it was about 630 in the morning. And I was feeling all very good about being really close to God because I'm like, okay, I'm in a monastery. I'm surrounded by monks. I'm having a really good time. This was before my London sex life party, crystal meth addiction and all of that stuff. I was much younger and I was looking for the answers and I just wanted to feel closer to God. Um, and anyway, I never got confirmed, right? I got baptized, but not confirmed. So by spiritual law, if I go up to the altar to receive a blessing, I will get the blessing of Christ rather than the body and the blood of Christ. I have to bow my head so that they don't give me the sacrament because I'm not entitled to it because I never got confirmed, right? Right, right. Now, I'm not religious, but I do take that very strongly. I'm not interested in taking the sacrament if I'm not allowed to because, well, I don't need to eat crackers to feel close to God anyway. Like I don't, it's symbolic at best. However, I didn't like wanting to go up and bow my head at this altar to receive the blessing of Christ because what was happening to me during the um, service leading up to the, um, to the sacrament was that I was aware the sacrament was coming and that I didn't want to look like the only asshole in the room who thinks he's better than God and doesn't want to go and get touched by the priest. And then suddenly I was thinking, right, I'm just going to stay here. And I'm very aware that everyone in the room is a little old man or a little old lady or a little old monk. 
and they're all going to bloody go up and get blessings and things. And I'm going to feel like the, the where's Wally or the odd one out or the freak in the room or the square peg in the round hole. I just hope this is over soon. I'm just going to sit with my head down in the pew where I'm already sitting and I hope it's over in a couple of minutes. And I sat, I just sat there. It's like, now people come up to the thing for the sacraments and I'm like, okay, just shut your eyes, put your head down. And then someone's tapping me on the shoulder and I realize I'm at the end of the row and there's eight people who need me to get up and stand in the aisle to get out. I'm like, oh shit. So I get up and I stand in the aisle. I was about 25, 26, maybe 27, actually, I think. Yeah. And all these people came filing out and the last two were monks. Mm. And uh, the last one said to me, you can, you can come up, you know, it's not just for monks. And right. I thought, oh, I, I can get out of this by telling him I haven't been confirmed. I, it was just quick off the cuff thinking. I'm like, oh, I haven't been confirmed. It's all right. He's like, oh, you can still receive the blessing. And this voice in me was like, fuck off, you nosy bastard. That's all I wanted to say to him because I was being enormously triggered. I was feeling shameful and angry and sad and confused. and I didn't know why. I thought I was letting everybody down, maybe letting God down or something. I'm like, no, it's fine. I, I don't, I, don't I, I, I couldn't say I don't want to go. I might as well swear in, in the God's face. I don't want your blessing, fucker. It's like, oh God, that feels awful. So I just didn't want to be seen anymore. And he, he, he could see that I was having a meltdown and just walked past me after that. Because, okay, no worries, no worries, it's fine. Yeah, and he walked yeah, past yeah. me. And I sat down again. And I was almost in tears. I was just feeling so wretched. And then sacrament was over. And then it was the end of the service. And as quickly as anything, I don't know where he came from. Simon Holden came flying out of nowhere in his amazing black, brown, cassock, brown, and scooped me up, linking arms with me, pulled me from the room like a sort of a wind into a, a, a cobbled, very long corridor that went all the way down the side of the chapel, which was a smaller room inside a bigger building. And then suddenly, out of a tiny little door on the right, totally Alice in Wonderland style, popped out, out of the monastery, into this beautiful garden. He shut the door behind us and we were alone. Bang. And I'm like, how did you do that? He's like, I'm a wizard. And I'm like, of course you are. And he's like, what, what on earth is going on for you? You're in the middle of a breakdown. And I'm like, I told him the thing. Right. And he's like, but Simon, you were sitting with your thoughts and feelings and feeling humble and small and ashamed under the all-seeing eye of God in an incredibly profound way. Yes, it may have felt like humiliation, but that's because you are still in your life a stranger to humility. Mm. And the way that you handled that sitting in the seat was far more connected to God than probably three quarters of the people who went up and took the body and the blood of Christ. You did have communion with God in those moments. You didn't reject it. You accepted it. You just couldn't see that that's what you were doing. Until now. And suddenly I realized he's right. I'm like, oh, yay! And I felt so good and so much better. I was sad still. But... Only with that kind of trauma hangover of sadness of a crime you think you've committed and then be told afterwards, no, you haven't, you're fine. That sadness. It's like, ooh, more like relief really than sadness. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, so I am not anti people who uh, have learned how to connect to God through organized religion. If they've done it in a way that doesn't seek to control other human beings, make themselves right and others wrong, or make themselves miserable and feel lonely and divorced from God whilst claiming that they're as close to God as they could be. As long as they're not doing those things, I think organized religion is great. Unfortunately, it's riddled with those things. So at the moment, it's not great. That's all. <laughs> Who ruined the Catholic Church? The deep state? I mean, I... 
I think it was ruined as it was being built, to be honest. I don't know. It's been like this for a very long time. I mean, in 2014, there was uh, attacks, I think, in Syria on various artistic places, churches, uh, museums, artifacts were destroyed. And there was one particular archway as part of an old ruined um, cathedral or church, which was called the Temple of Baal. This was this doorway, this archway in a church from a long, long time ago that was destroyed in 2014. And suddenly the international art community got together, putting out lots of international media about the travesty of these, uh, these destructions of these beautiful, priceless, irreplaceable artifacts and things. And it was decided that they would take the stones and rebuild the doorway, the archway of Baal, and then parade it round the world to show the world how awesome the artistic community is at preserving amazing art. This temple doorway stood erected in Trafalgar Square in London for six months and in Times Square in New York for six months as well, or maybe six weeks. And while this was happening, I watched the surrounding environments descend into much higher crime rates and all these other things. And basically, this is a portal to another world where goblins and demons can fly out invisible into the 3D world to help with their takeover plan. Mm. If you trace the Temple of Baal back, they used to do child sacrifices there on the very altar under that archway. It's got the imprint of that terror and that trauma. It carries those vibrations. And then if you look at um, Guillermo del Toro, who did, um, obviously he did that amazing film, uh, Pan's Labyrinth, but he went on to do this, um, what are they called? Trolls? Monsters? Yeah, 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 yeah. The cartoon. There's an archway in that. It's the Temple of Baal archway, but it's not. It's just a, it's a it, but it, it is. They always tell us what they're doing in the form of entertainment media for children and adults. Wow. Now, like, And I lived in London when this was going on, and I was very aware that I didn't want to go anywhere near Trafalgar Square while the Temple of Baal was erected there. And I just waited for it to go off to America or wherever it went next. But it went all around the world and got featured in major cities. And it was just a way of opening a door to let horrible thoughts and feelings and perverted sexual energies and distrust and um, shame and loathing pour out and infect people. I have no proof of this oh, at all, okay. and I don't need it. But the fact is, you know, if you know your enemy and you can love them anyway, that's the ticket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm nosy, Greg. I'm nosy. I want to know everything. Wow, wow. And I will never know everything, ever. But I have been given a very strong internal spiritual constitution that can take toxic, broken energy, cycle it through my heart, flip it 180 degrees, and then pour it back out as love and light. I can take toxic energy and turn it into fuel for the spiritual awakening, my own or other people's. Yeah, yeah. And I used Trojan Horse to do that. So it was just a tantric massage service for gay men. Then women started to come to me and say, why is this a service only for gay men? 
I mean, it's a very remarkable thing when having an erection causes the Reiki that comes out of your hands to be supercharged. And when you can build that into a model of a psychosexual healing that comes with an incredibly advanced form of conversational technology, which breaks down people's barriers, even when they don't know they're there, hacks into systems, uh, unlocks doors with skeleton keys that no one's ever made before really quickly, and then pushes that person into a breakdown that makes them realize they're holding onto a trauma that they picked up when they were four, and that a part of their spirit has been stuck in that trauma, aged for in arrested development in tiny little repeating cycles like a scratch on a record ever since. And suddenly that breaks open and that little child comes back from the ether and merges that four-year-old with the adult who is having the session. That is something that therapy can't do. Can you teach it? I don't know. I, well, I can teach people how to do it for themselves because that's what I do. It starts with a tantric massage and people come to me for once a month for a massage for a program of somewhere between six and eight sessions. But the massage is bookended by very intense dialogue. And then between the massage sessions, there's homework, which involves watching particular types of movie, accessing childhood trauma, accessing childhood memory, sometimes through exercises as basic as taking a memory from childhood and then trying to write about it with the hand that you don't usually write with. Because mm, yeah. that takes you back emotionally to a place when you were learning to write, which accesses all sorts of memories from that part of your life. And then you get to relive them, change the story, reassimilate the pain, and reach back, sometimes with your current self, to say to the child, it's all right, you're not an orphan anymore, I've got you. But sometimes that child will look at you and say, you're not even old enough to look after yourself, I don't trust you. In which case, you have to call forward to your future self, who's older and wiser than you are, and then you you become the bridge for your future self to communicate with your tiny child self who does trust that version of you that is old enough to be the daddy. So we really yeah. mess around with past, present and future and take whatever we need from whenever we need, regardless of when we are standing right now, to create the alchemy that promotes and produces that level of healing, release and surrender. Yeah. Wow, 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 Simon. I mean, this is like, and then when, and then when, and then when lockdown gift. started, uh, it, yes, it is, it is a special gift, and it came from uh, the depths of my sex addiction and pornography addiction and crystal meth addiction. It came from the absolute darkest place I've ever been. This, this wisdom, this knowledge, this gift. I already had the makings of it, but I've never put these things together. I picked them up over a fifteen-year period, one at a time, through various courses and learning to go to the sauna and cruise that's all part of it the sales skills or the therapy that i've had so i can't teach anyone to be a trojan horse practitioner but i can teach people to use trojan horse and the reason it's called trojan horse is because basically you fool your senses into letting something under the wire of your perceptions and then once it's inside the army of love and light pours out and mows down the city of your own discontent that's why it's called Trojan Horse. That's the, it, it's, a, yeah. it's, a, it's a sneak attack. It's a, that's why it uses disruptive technology. Because the ego has an awful lot of fabulous mechanisms in place to protect itself from being dislodged from the throne of consciousness. But that throne is supposed to be inhabited by the heart self, not the mind self. So it has to be dethroned. And that's why the ego fights, because it's why the dethroning also means death. Mm. So some of Trojan Horse is about writing a letter to your ego and saying, darling, could you move out of the driving seat? I promise you, you're not going to die. You're going to go and sit right next to me in the passenger seat. We get to talk on every car journey and I'll need you every time it's time to turn left or right. You're very important, darling. 
And as yeah. soon as the ego is told it's very important, it stops fighting and starts listening. You know, there are spiritual people who've gone wrong somewhere quite close to the end game and they go, I've got to get rid of my ego. I've got to kill my ego. Why can't I kill my ego? Why am I always being driven by my ego? The ego is so shit. I hate my ego. Ra 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 ra. And it's all this kind of, I'm trying to divorce myself from a part of me that I actually need. And the truth is, you're just using it in the wrong way. It's like saying, I want to use a screwdriver to turn on the lights by sticking it in the mains electricity socket. And every time you do, you get an electric shock and you get blasted backwards and it hurts. And then you go, I hate screwdrivers. Well, why didn't you use it to screw in a screw? That would have been quite useful. You know. Wow. It's, it's as simple as that. And I take these very complicated concepts and I break them down into really simple terms because that's how I learned them. So I'm not doing it to dumb it down. I'm doing it to shine a light on it and make people see how, show people how easy it is. Yeah. This is the, all amazing. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> it's all like amazing synthesis of, I mean, I feel, I just feel like you're uh, so experienced in different, um, I, you know, different, di- different modalities that you didn't even realize you were getting subjected to. So I see why you don't want to call yourself like a qualified, like therapeutic practitioner, like, like in, in a, uh, I am a, I am a coach. I am not a therapist. The fact is I will share with all of my clients, all sorts of things that therapists cannot share with their clients yeah also um half my clients start to fall in love with me very early on in the process because they are able to speak to me in the way that they've not ever even been able to speak to their friends and family something in me disarms all of their verbal constraints that usually protect them from being completely seen do they know know that with me do they know you're into the deep state uh yes to a degree but the fact is most people who don't want to believe in the deep state also do want to believe that you should wear masks, not get too close to other people. So that system kind of filters out the wheat from the chaff and I don't get anyone. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait. Oh, gosh. <laughs> you get that, right? You get that. It's a, it's a, it's a, I don't have to worry about that. Um, wait a I mean, second. Uh, are you telling me you're seeing people, the only people that tend to see you are people that do not believe that in the mask stuff? First of all, you're anti-mask. I am anti. I am anti-mask. However, I went to Berlin recently, and I wore a mask on every single time I was on public transport while I was there, and in all the shops. Because in Germany, everyone is sticking to the rules, and I'm in their country. Mm. And although I don't agree with it, because I think that putting on a mask is basically saying, "Yes, let the deep state pedophiles take my children away and lock us all up in FEMA camps," I understand that that is a very um, <laughs> extreme gosh. opinion. Um, and that it isn't going to make me friends or allow me to influence people in the way that I want. If I go around shouting that, like a fundamentalist Christian, telling people on a street corner that if you don't turn to Christ now, you're going to go to hell. And the reason they're doing that is because they were a heroin addict, and then they got found by the church, they got radicalized, and now they're so grateful they're not a heroin addict. They're bashing people with the truth in such an ugly way that they're making people run away from, from God rather than towards it. I don't need to become one of those. That's fine. So if someone asks me my opinions, that's fine. If someone says, do you believe in masks? I'll be like, well, they exist. Do you wear one in shops? No, not in my local town. I don't. In England, you are allowed to not wear a mask because you're exempt. And you are allowed to be exempt if your mental health precludes you from wearing a mask. And Your mental health can preclude you from wearing a mask if you will experience yourself as going into some sort of psychological trauma if you are made to put one on. Hmm. 
So, therefore, the words I am exempt is legal in England and it is illegal for them to ask you why you're exempt because no one should make you talk about your very personal mental health issues. Yeah. Wow, 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 wow. This is like... <laughs> now, if someone wanted to ask me and challenge me, I would turn around and say, well, I believe satanic paedophiles are trying to take over the world, amongst other things. And in this world, running around saying that makes me look like a schizophrenic person who ought to be sectioned. So with that fear every day, the idea of having my throat chakra constricted, worrying that the mask has been sprayed with toxic chemicals like... Um, uh chlorine and um what's the other one uh some gas form of um fluoride is on all those blue masks yeah as if toothpaste with fluoride wasn't enough to calcify the pineal gland now we're breathing it in through those little blue masks and then what do you think about trump you know i mean you, you were telling me uh yesterday that you think now that trump is talking about the vaccine it kind of goes against the q stuff a little bit. no 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 i watched a uh, a very heartwarming uh, no sorry i listened to a very heartwarming explanation of all the stuff that i've been missing out on over the last couple of months while i've been busy falling in love in berlin oh gosh um and i'm i'm back on the trump wagon again i'm happy because there were some questions that i just couldn't fathom how to answer um basically he wore a mask once got bollocked and every other uh, uh video with him in a mask in it's all superimposed all those pictures with him in masks in groups they're all they're all they're all um what's the word doctored images that, that so that's put that to bed for me that's fine um and when he's <laughs> talking gosh. about the vaccine when he's talking about the vaccine um it is believed that he is actually talking about alternative uh cures like hydroxychloroquine uh, under the name of vaccine, because in America, especially, you can't tell people the truth yet. Uh, Charlie Freak pointed out this morning in this podcast I was listening to that if you told all Americans in the media to jump out of a first floor window in order to get 20% off uh, their next Kmart shop, probably around three to four million people would do it because the TV had told them to. Wow. Okay. Now, with that in, with that in mind... Well, the TV says it's true. It must be. If you start running around and telling people that um, some of their most beloved Hollywood celebrities have been drinking children's blood and making promises to Satan and selling out the rest of the human race, even if there was proof, even if it was believed by everybody, that would precipitate a level of breakdown that is so fast and so sudden that it promotes a mental health collapse and death. Hmm. Right? When I'm coaching people in Trojan Horse, there are times when I ask them to write a piece of writing about something, some internal construct where they have got a demon that hides in the shadows of their subconscious whispering things to them or whatever. And sometimes people struggle with this. But then if I ask them to draw a picture of the demon, and the demon could be doubt or shame or self-loathing or whatever, right? This or, or, or addiction. I work with quite a few addicts of different types and um, because I've been one myself, you know, well, technically I still am. I always will be. That's the power that an addict can free themselves from their addiction hmm. to understand that it's always the way. I didn't do the 12-step 12, 12 program. I, I built my own recovery from scratch because I know how my brain works and there's too many things in the 12-step program that wouldn't have worked for me. And it was a very personal process I wanted to do alone. But now I have done it. I can recreate it for others. And... It involves, amongst other things, acknowledging the part in yourself where you refuse 
to love you. This is like that fish story, that little girl fish at the end. She yeah. wanted to love him with all the love that was pouring out of her heart. But the fact is our job is to love ourselves with all the love that's pouring out of our heart. And then the whole of ourself radiates that love out 10 times the power. And we can love everybody else accidentally and automatically as a symbiotic and accidental byproduct of self-love. That is connecting with God. That is agape. That is unconditional love. It turns us into a lighthouse that is a constant outpouring of love, unconditional. But if we have a blockage because we've been told we are shit enough times by enough people and enough media and enough teachers and enough parents, you can't do that. That's wrong. No one likes you when you do that. All these different types of phrases that we have to shut down creativity and to put people into doubt. When you have that, what you are left with is this belief that if you are worthy of love, somebody will love you for you so you don't have to. So we don't look for this love from our sense of worthiness. We look for this love from our absence of it. Mm. We look for love from the place inside us where we believe ourselves to be fundamentally unlovable. And then what do we meet? What do we attract because of the quantum field and the way that manifestation and the power of now and, you know, the secret and all that jazz works? We attract a lonely, miserable, self-doubting person because just like a dolphin sending out sonar and bouncing off rocks and other fish to find out what's food and what's a barrier and where's another dolphin, when we pray, it's just sending out a vibration pulse from our body and the universe, like a mirror, will bounce back whatever we've asked for. So if we believe we are shit and we are looking for somebody else to love us from that place inside us, we will find someone who also believes they are shit. Now, if it's exactly the right kind of shit, we can love them and they can love us and we can fall into toxic codependence and be very needy with each other and have a very happy, very tiny, very limited toxic codependent relationship forever. And it can work, but literally I think maybe only one time in 10. And if one of them dies, the other one feels their world has fallen apart and they can't function anymore. More often than not though, that relationship does not happen between two people who don't believe they're worthy of love. It happens between somebody who wants to adore but doesn't want to adore themselves which is what we've been talking about but on the other side of that is someone who wants to be adored and doesn't want to connect with God because that makes them feel too small so they pinch the divine connection that other people have with God who exist around them but don't know that they are divinely connected so they can get their, their life force from people around them pinching God energy because they don't have the courage or the balls to connect directly and be seen in that level of tiny, insignificant grain of sand humility. And I call this the light bearer dynamic because the first time it happened was when Lucifer left the kingdom of heaven, according to the story of Lucifer leaving heaven written by me. It's a very different take on sin and separation and the devil. It's not the devil. Lucifer is not the devil. What is it? Lucifer is the ego. Do you want to hear the story? Uh, I, I think so. I mean, uh, I mean, I mean, you can cut this into, into segments, right? If you want to. Or just release it as one massive, <laughs> massive podcast. But we're, we just keep going and there's just so much to say and talk about. Are you, are you happy? Um, no, no, I am. It? This is this is very this is very interesting. Uh, yeah, <laughs> this is uh, definitely longer than the, thirty minutes. 
Um, oh, yes, it's longer than 30 minutes. It's longer than the hour. I mean, it's just gone, <laughs> hasn't it? It's just gone on and on and on. But I'm, uh, if, if, if you're happy, I'm happy. But wait, what's um, going on? Is it, are you like, are you just channeling this stuff? Like, is that what's going on through you as you like this, these last two and a half hours? Like, is it just poured through you? Like, it's poured through me apart from when I was telling you a poem. Uh, and, and now when I'm about to tell you the story of Luther, because um, they are memorized, practiced, rehearsed performance pieces. Yeah. I mean, believe it, they, thank you. Thank you. Um, well, you are, you are a very clear mirror, Greg. You're a very pleasant, uh, hands, handsome voice. I've actually, no, I can say you're a handsome face as well, because I have seen your face on your Facebook profile. Yes. Oh, well, well, thank you. I appreciate you, that. You're welcome. You're welcome. But you've got an excellent voice and you are handling me very well. You're looking after me very well. So the, the, the success of these communications comes as a response to the nurturing space you're creating as you run the interview with me, you know? Oh. Yeah, well, that I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Well, look, why don't we do this? Yes, I mean, everybody, I, I'm going to link to it, simonwelshpoetry.co.uk. Um, and if you're interested in the tantric massage aspect, all the tantric conversations, because that's what I was saying, since the beginning of lockdown, I've had all sorts of clients come to me online from different countries asking for this coaching even though it doesn't have the amazing body-on-body -body tantric aspect to it. But it does. It's tantric. It's just not massage-based. And you don't get to get all your clothes off with me. Yeah. But it's still just as powerful. If, it's extraordinary. So, so since the beginning of lockdown, a Trojan horse has diversified. And now I have THC and THM, Trojan horse massage and Trojan horse conversation. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. But yeah. it does fast, it fast tracks, it fast tracks the way out of trauma very differently to therapy and it's counterintuitive in its model and it breaks a whole lot of the therapy rules some of my clients fall in love with me and as soon as they do i celebrate it with them in a very splendid way because when i look after someone in trojan horse and hold their face while i'm massaging them and look into their eyes like they are my twin soul from thousands of years ago and and always have been I am showing them what it's like to be connected. And in that moment, they are. Because what's happening is the unconditional love, the agape is flooding out of my heart, filling the room. And then the room is filled with love. So now we are just two little fish having a massage together. And when we look at each other, we, we are in love with each other because we are swimming in it. The whole room is filled with it. Mm. Now, when people are experiencing that for the first time and they don't understand about the water, they look at me and they think that I am the power behind the amazingness of it all. I'm not. When you are swimming in water that's unconditional love with anybody else, you will fall in love with everything you look at because it's all around you and it's in you. Yeah. That's not the same as I'm in love with you unless it be I am swimming in love with you right now whilst I'm looking at you. So when a client falls in love with me, where a regular therapist would go, oh dear, um, this is uh, transference, this is projection, well, I have to assign you to another counselor now, I'm terribly sorry, we can never speak again, which I think is just terrible but I understand it's part of this very outdated uh, Euclidean logic, this kind of a classical um, model for therapy. Mm -hmm. It's done very well. It's, it's a very good thing. I'm, not, I'm, I'm an advocate of all sorts of aspects. But this, with Trojan Horse, I get people to fall in love with me. I don't get them to it. If they fall in love with me during sessions, because we do, we have a session a month and we build a relationship together over six to eight months. And then they heal. And then they cut, they, they leave. They don't need me anymore. It's like Mary Poppins, except I'm not the one who leaves. They are. Um, 
Mm. And, and um, you know, they'll say to me, I think I'm falling in love with you. And I'm like, do you understand that that is how you're going to feel when you look at me when we're in session together because the whole room is filled with love? And they're like, oh. And I'm like, do you also understand that that is how I feel about you when I look at you during session? And they're like, oh. And then I say to them, now that feeling towards me is going to carry on as a projection until you are willing to look in the mirror and shine it on yourself. And I don't care how long that takes. But sooner would be better for you. It'll also be cheaper. <laughs> you know? <laughs> my job is to do myself out of a job with every client as fast as possible. Yeah. I'm not, in I'm not interested in cashing in on people's need and then getting them addicted to me. It can happen. But when I catch it, I nip that shit in the bud. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't even talk about your, how you joined a cult. That sounds like that's what that was. Yeah, that was fun. That might be for another time. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, um, we're going to have to go into that another episode. But look, here, so yes. Shall I tell Simon, you? I think Sorry? we should end this episode. Yeah, no, I said you, we should definitely check you out. SimonWelshPoetry.co.uk. Check out uh, Trojan, the Trojan program. Trojan Horse. So yeah, Trojan Horse. If you type in Trojan Horse Massage on Google, you will find it. And you need to bear in mind, if you're going to look at, at that, that if you want the conversational aspect of the technology, you're going to have to, for the moment anyway, navigate through the website as if you were coming to see me in Devon for a tantric massage, find your way to the center of the maze, answer all the questions, fill out the feedback form, and then we can have a free consultation on the phone, on Skype, on Zoom, or on WhatsApp video or audio. And then you can decide to have coaching sessions with me online um, rather than coming to see me in person if you are not UK-based or if you are scared of COVID and don't want to get my cooties. <laughs> sounds good sounds good um yeah i think it would be great because i i know how i wanted to end this episode and um i wanted to end it with a performance of one of your written works so um if you, i feel like lucifer might be the one we want the lucifer the lucifer piece okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah. is it called okay lucifer? or is the guy it's, it's, it's called it's called the story of the light bearer oh okay yes the lucifer Life bear, light bearer. Yeah, Lucifer means light bearer in Latin. Love it, love it. Yeah. Uh, 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 so, so, so this is the story of the light bearer. Now, the the premise, the, the the background of the story, is that I was working in Brighton in a call centre and was completely in love in that. Oh, I adore you. I love you. I just want to look at you. Way with this dude who was straight and he was one of my best friends and I confessed my love, my uncontrollable love for him. Six weeks into a, a friendship, a call centre friendship where we used to eat lunches together and just go around in our break times together and sit near each other. And it was like, he was called Simon as well. So we were called the Simons. And when he left the room, all my lights would go out and I didn't realise that I was loving him from the place in myself where I didn't believe I was worthy of love. I didn't know about this construct. I just knew I love him and it hurts. And why do I always fall in love with people who don't want to reciprocate it? It hurts. Ow, ow, ow. And... Yeah. eventually it, it broke up and I actually we, we broke our friendship because we just couldn't do it anymore we both held on to it for way longer than we should have done um, and we uh, I just couldn't look at him anymore at the end of it and he I think probably loathed me or just loathed being anywhere near me um, and it was it brought out all sorts of things in me almost like a stalker do you know what I mean I changed all my rotor uh, uh, at the call center so I would only do shifts that he was doing because I just couldn't see the point of being in that call center if he wasn't there um 
And about two years after I stopped seeing him, I was working at a different place as an account manager, a senior account manager for an email marketing company. And a friend of mine called Marcus came to my house where well, he phoned me up first and said, I've just done the next level of my vortex healing treatment initiations. Can I come and give you a vortex healing to um, widen my channels and hone my skills? And I'm like, yeah, sure. I get a free healing. You get to practice. That's cool. Yeah, definitely. So he came over and we had a little 10 second consultation where he asked me, what do you want out of this session? And I said instinctively, I want to write the best thing I've ever written that is not a poem, but that is performable. And I also want to get over this Simon chap that I'm in love with, because even though I haven't seen him for a year, there's still a gap. I can feel it like a vacuum in my, in my, in my heart, where if I'm not careful, other things rush in because there's an empty space that I need, it needs to be filled with something and I just don't know how to fill it. Right. Mm. So we had this session and he just put his hands on me and they came all down my body, starting with the head, went to the feet. It was a bit like Reiki, I suppose. Um, there was some heat. I did some deep breathing. I actually did deep breathing so deeply that I ended up being able to do uh, two to four breaths a minute where I was just inhaling for 15 seconds and then hailing, exhaling for 15 and then inhaling for 15 and then exhaling for 15. That's two breaths in one minute, which reduces the um, oxygen and increases the carbon dioxide and spikes your brain into it. I don't know what happened, but anyway, it went on for an hour and it was nice, but I didn't think much of it. And then um, we had a little smoke on the balcony and then he left. And then the next day I went to work and then work finished at lunchtime because it was a Christmas party or something party at work. And we had all been given a gift that we were all gonna go to a go-karting center together and crash around and smash the shit out of each other for any of the, uh, the, the ag that we might experience on the sales floor where someone's pinched somebody else's commission or whatever. You know, it's a good way to get it all out and make sure everyone stays friends. So we went to this go-karting center had a go-kart, spent three hours there. And as we were leaving, I started to develop the most excruciating pains in my guts. It was like trap wind, maybe, or starvation. I mean, I, I hadn't eaten for six hours, but still, it, it wasn't that. It, uh, everything I thought, is it constipation? No. And by the time we were halfway home, I thought maybe it was appendicitis. And I was doubling over in the coach, back from this go-karting center in Crawley, back to Brighton. Everyone on the coach was like, oh, it was so much fun. Oh, let's see your photos. Let's see your photos. Oh, it was so good. Oh, my God. I'm putting it on Facebook. Oh, my God. When are we going again? And I'm just going, ow, ow, ow. I'm dying. Did I crash into anybody really hard? No. Did I bruise myself? No. Have I got a cracked rib? No. Got home. Oh, my God. I think I'm going to die. I'm going to call an ambulance in a minute. And then this voice just goes, computer. And I rushed into my bedroom where I had all my desk and desktop set up next to my bed. And I sat down and I opened a blank Word document. And as I put my fingers to the keyboard, the pain shot up from my guts, through my heart, down my arms and out of my fingers. And the rest is history. This is the story of the light bearer. Firstly, it's important to note that the words Lucifer, Satan and the devil conjure up images of fiery pits, temptation, darkness, these images have all been created by religion, and religion has been manufactured by man. The essence of the real Lucifer can be found in the story of his fall from heaven, if we choose to tell it like this. Lucifer was the most beautiful angel in the universe. He hadn't always been, but one day he had heard two of the other angels agreeing with each other that it was so, and that was how it became so. Lucifer knew that because he was the most beautiful angel in the universe, it also meant that God loved him the best. 
God had never confirmed that this was truth, but Lucifer didn't need God's confirmation. For knowing he was the most loved and the most beautiful made him want to explode with happiness like the universe itself at the beginning of time. In the universe, the happier an angel was, the more brightly they shone. And over time, Lucifer's light grew brighter and brighter. The other angels loved his light and wanted to bask in it whenever they could. They even gave him their own light whilst they were with him so that he could shine more brightly still. Whenever Lucifer went to sit with the other angels in the great circle, conversation would cease. All eyes were turned towards him and those sitting closest could often be seen to have tears in their eyes, overcome with joy in the knowledge that they were sitting with the most beautiful angel in the universe. Whenever Lucifer left the great circle, conversation would turn always to questions. You still there? Have I cut myself off? We good? No, no, I'm there. Good. I'm there. Conversation would turn. I, I just pressed something on my phone and freaked out. Conversation would turn always to questions. Where are you going? Why are you leaving us? May we follow? Will you return? How could we have pleased you more that you would wish to stay longer? And their tone was always the same, despairing. Over time. Lucifer began to both dread and to relish his departures from the great circle. And he would always respond with a mixed look of fondness and pity and the same simple words. I will return, he would say. And then, turning his back to his brothers and sisters, he would climb out of the valley and continue in upward spirals until he could climb no higher. This was the mountain of God. On one such afternoon, as Lucifer sat on a rocky outcrop looking out across a silvery ocean, the feelings of separation and of loneliness became more than he could bear, and he burst into tears. It was at precisely times like these that Lucifer needed the other angels most, but he never went back to them in these states of melancholy. No, it was better to suffer alone and to return only when he was strong again. So. Closing his eyes, Lucifer began to imagine the faces of the other angels. He sought for the feelings of inner power that would fuel him when he sat in the great circle. And slowly but surely, he began to regain his composure. After a time, he felt strong enough to return to his comrades. Now, God had been watching all the while. Though Lucifer had not asked to speak to him, and now Lucifer came. God came to Lucifer. What are you doing? asked God. Why have you separated yourself, Lucifer? I have not separated myself, retorted Lucifer. I am the most adored and the most beautiful angel in the entire universe. A separated angel would surely look hmm, ugly and sad and have no friends. I have trillions of friends. Every other angel knows my name. Lucifer, the bearer of light. Yes, Lucifer, said God sadly. I gave you that name. But the light you bear is meant to be the light of the universe that flows in abundance through all things. You have been bearing the light bestowed on you by other angels. They give it freely, cried Lucifer defiantly, and accepting gifts is not a crime. But what do you give in return? I shine more brightly than any of the other angels, cried Lucifer. That is a gift beyond all others. Yes, agreed God, perhaps. But he who shines the brightest light 
leaves behind him the darkest shadow, and you know this. So why must you always leave the unity of the great circle knowing you will return? I, I can't keep it up indefinitely, whispered Lucifer quietly. So sometimes I have to separate myself, but I can't separate myself and continue to sit with my brothers and sisters simultaneously I can't let them see what I look like when I'm not shining where do you go asked God I come here said Lucifer to be alone and I'm not bright then I'm dull yes agreed God the dullest of all the angelic nation but in your dullness, you could repair to the light of the universe that flows in abundance through all things, even now. Why do you not? Because it is everywhere. Every angel shines with it. Every angel looks the same. I do not look the same. And I like it. I do not want to shine with common universal light. Yet, said God, Separation is merely an illusion because everything is one. And you choose to dwell here in separation as if it were real. But it doesn't make you happy. It doesn't serve you. It makes you sad to be alone. I've seen it. I'm never really alone, whispered Lucifer, knowingly, almost craftily. I, I take short spells of solitude. But no sooner am I gone than I can feel the other angels missing me and wishing I would return to them. And when the pull of their desire is greater than my desire for rest, I return to the great circle. I'm welcomed by glad faces. My hands are kissed. My feet are washed. I'm given a throne to recline on. I do not require the light of the universe any longer. As Lucifer uttered these words, a shadow fell across his face. The first shadow. What is happening? He cried into the expanding absence. You've cut your cord, came the voice of God, which was faint and seemed to be coming from above the first direction. <sighs> Lucifer realized now that he must be outside the light of the universe. No angel had done that before, and Lucifer felt proud to be different. You will come back to the light of the universe, came the voice of God that was so faint now, Lucifer could hardly hear it. But first, you will forget that separation is an illusion, and in your forgetfulness, you will teach others to adore you in a world of duality. Go well, my one. You are love. And then, as pure light refracts through a prism into the infinite colors of a rainbow, so Lucifer passed through the prism of God's eye and out across the cosmos in all possible directions and into all possible dimensions, an explosion that sent shards like shooting stars out into the farthest reaches of space and time. This event was later known as the Big Bang. Oh, oh man. Wow. Wow. And I wrote that actually, and also it's a, a child or its extension, 
which is called The Story of Adam and Eve, which is uh, of the same length and starts with these two bolts of Luciferian lightning striking the earth and then waking up as the first man and the first woman on this planet. Okay. Lucifer is the child of God. Lucifer is ego wanting to do things on its own to see how well it can do because it wants to explore and be its own God in its, um, uh, 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 in its juvenility, in its youngness. I, I'm not going to say innocence because uh, uh, going with the ego is about the loss of innocence, right? That's the whole biting of the apple thing. Yeah. But it is this juvenile kind of toddler-esque attitude to being human. That's what the ego is. We are currently the human species in our adolescence now. We're not a toddler anymore. We've grown up to the point where we've been given fast cars and bombs and the uh, big technology and not a clue how to be an adult with it because we're still so busy saying, I'm the most important person in the room. Yeah. Like, and that's, that's all this is. So basically, as far as I'm concerned, Lucifer is just the expression of angelic energy that got born by fract, refracting or splitting off from the, 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 the true source and then setting itself up as the God of itself on the earth. And the whole journey of an earth life is to find our way home. That's what this wonderful journey is all about. Lucifer, which is all of us, and by the way, all planets, everything that is separate is Lucifer exploring itself. Lucifer is the aspect, in my opinion, Lucifer is the aspect of God that can, that, that, that gives birth to a three-dimensional existence and everything in three dimensions from planetary systems and cosmoses and, and Milky Ways and galaxies on the external and then atoms and molecules and cells and their processes on the internal. But it's all Luciferian energy exploring, okay, what can I do without daddy? <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's just childish. Yeah, yeah. Because the truth is that two men can carry a piano together, or not being sexist, two people can carry a piano together, but one person can't carry half a piano. And we are all running around trying to carry half pianos so that we can say, look, I'm doing it on my own, no hands, no hands. Like a child learning to ride a bike. Because we're not grown up enough yet to understand, or sorry, to understand. I'm changing mm. my, 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 my languaging around understand and understand. I don't understand anything anymore. I'm trying to understand everything. Um, to understand that by sinking down into the heart and saying, actually, daddy and mummy, because it's all about mother earth and father sky. God is not a man. God is everything. But it's about saying to your parents spiritually, not just the parents of you, the parents of every human ever, including Adam and Eve, as energetic forces, I'm ready to hold your hand again because I understand that the way to independence is to come home. I've been on a long journey trying to do it on my own and all I really do is sow seeds of doubt and fuck things up and worry about death and get scared and fuck other people up. And, you know, we tried, you know, 26,000 years or longer. Yeah. So millions of years maybe. Uh, 26,000 years was the date of the, uh, the Lemuria and Atlantean War. And the reason we don't know about Lemuria and Atlantis is because they burned down the libraries at Alexandria on purpose. <laughs> Clever old bastards. Um, is there anything? But, um, Can you find anything about it besides Plato talking about Atlantis? Uh, 
Yeah, sure, probably. Uh, in like the, the mystery school texts that will come out to you through things like the um, Disclosure Project. But then, of course, some people will argue that that stuff's been written recently and it doesn't really come from tablets and blah, 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 blah. And again, it's down to interpretation and yeah. proof. Proof versus truth. This is the thing that I was starting to say and forgot to finish saying before, which is that because we can do that green mouth thing and make Trump pretend to be talking about whatever we want or anyone, appear to have said something the queen's speech last christmas that wasn't her it was like a robot or just like a, a graphical image she didn't say those things it, her whole face was moving weirdly hmm. right hmm. um now in a world where we have law and order based on proof which comes from fact and we can fake proof we now live in a world where facts don't count for shit and the legal system is falling apart because of that Proof is all about measuring data, which is all ego-based. Truth is how a piece of data makes you feel and how it impacts your behaviors moving forward, spiritual, mental, emotional behaviors, physical behaviors. So truth can't be proved because truth is all about faith. Not necessarily faith in God or faith in the universe, but faith in something bigger than yourself, faith that there is a plan, maybe, faith that you're going in the right direction. And when you experience truth, truth lands straight in the heart, which is what I do. This is the way I talk. A lot of people, hopefully, who are listening to this now are hopefully getting very excited or have been on and off getting very excited through the podcast going, yes, yes, this is unarguable truth because of the way it makes them feel when they hear it, when it lands, it yes. lands in the heart. And that sidesteps the whole business of law, order, fact, and proof. We are losing the ability to denote what's really going on through proof because proof can now be faked so easily from anywhere, not just by big people with lots of money, but by little people at home now. We might as well let go of trying to seek the answers by gaining facts and looking at proof. It doesn't work anymore. It's a broken model. So it's now about discernment and letting the heart examine incoming data first. And then the mind can have a second look and do its helpful things and the heart can listen and say, thank you for sharing <laughs> and leave it and leave it at that. And then the, the, the ego will say, well, thank you for listening. Are you going to go differently because of what I said? And the heart will say, no, you're wrong, but I really appreciate your input. And the ego will go, oh, good. And go back to sleep again. It's about not fighting anymore. Wow. 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 As soon as we stop fighting, resistance disappears, and then we're in flow. And that's where everyone is trying to work out how to be, and the deep state is throwing us a million curveballs every 10 seconds about freedom and children and TV and sex symbols and Hollywood. I mean, mm. I thought it was very interesting when Tony Fauci decided to get the whole of the musical aspect of Hollywood to do a benefit concert to raise money for the World Health Organization when Trump cut off all their money. And Madonna did a song that night called The Illuminati is Coming, Let's Party for that benefit concert. Yeah. Huh, like, I didn't think about that. And Lady Gaga. And like, it's like all the stuff. It was deep symbology. It was, it was just like, it was just the same as the Oreo video by R. Kelly. It's like, God, they're really dangling. They're just waving in our faces now, what they're doing. Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, so, 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 yeah, so, so, so for me, when someone says, oh, you know, there's a difference to me, massive difference between Lucifer and evil and the Satan, 
Lucifer and Satan are not interchangeable at all. Lucifer is the aspect of God that needed to go and explore on its own, which can be seen in stories like the prodigal son. Dad, I want my inheritance now, and I'm going to fuck off to big cities and have a whale of a time, because I want to be a man. And the, the, the farmer, the husband, the father, the farmer lets him go. And there's just the older brother on the farm. So you've got the dad and the older brother for 10 years doing the farm together. And the brother's got to do the work of two because his younger brother's fucked off. The younger brother's gone to all these cities, probably doing loads of cocaine, having prostitutes. Everyone wants to be around him when he's got money. And eventually he runs out through gambling and drinking and what have you. And then he's looking at all the pigs eating their slimy pig's will dinner and starving. And realizes at that point, I think, when he's staring at the pigs, envious that they have food and he doesn't, that it's probably time to go home. And he goes home. And the farmer is so excited that his son's come back. He's like, oh, my God, my son has come home. Oh, I'm going to give you inheritance all over again. And let's have a big party and everything. And the brother, the older brother, is spitting venomous blood of outrage on the the porch. He doesn't go to the party. He sits on his own and goes, what the actual fuck? Oh my God. Wow. And I remember hearing that story at school and thinking, yeah, I'm totally on the side of the older brother. What a, what the dad's a wanker clearly doesn't know how I, wow. And of course, when you hear that story, you will project any family issues you have with daddy issues or mummy issues onto that story. And you'll see it in a different way. And when I was a kid feeling that my dad didn't validate me enough. I mean, my dad was a teacher at Eton college, right? And I was, uh, un I, I was not a willing student. I wasn't right. an A-grade student. And he wanted to connect with me through education. And for me, education was all about trauma and terror because I had a primary school teacher who used to deny me toilet access while I was four just so she could fuck with my head until I was a very dysfunctional little six-year-old. Two wow. years, wow, he wow, tortured wow. me on a very regular basis. And my parents couldn't protect me from that because they were in their early 30s and trying to juggle a massive life. And what she was doing, although it was child abuse and wouldn't be allowed now... If this was 1984, so it was like, was not very cool. My son's always coming home with either shit in his pants or piss in his pants or traumatized in some other way by this evil woman. And by the time I was six, I was terrified of breaking rules, of getting things wrong, of not being loved, of not knowing what I was doing when everyone else seemed to. And I had developed this incredible daydream world to escape into, so I wouldn't have to be scared all the time, which is where my, um, my creativity comes from, from that place. So again... As we look at all these terrible things that happen to us when we're children, the most amazing things can come from them if we choose to accept what's happened to us and step into gratitude for exactly where we're standing now. Then we start to see the goods. Only then. And we can let go and be ourselves for the first time maybe ever in this world. Huh. Who would you be if you weren't always worrying about what other people thought of you? Half the people on this planet don't have a clue because what other people think of them is essential to their livelihood and well-being. Yeah, for sure. For me, it's really not. I don't care what other people think of me. I love it when people love me. Great. I also love it when people think I'm a wanker because usually they're not very nice and they go away quite quickly, thus filtering themselves out of my reality completely and forever. Hooray! I win both ways. I don't care. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't care. If someone thinks that I'm presumptuous or arrogant or that I claim to know the secret, I lost a friend recently and one of his parting comments was, and we've been friends since we were like 
12. We haven't really been friends for about 20 years, but I didn't realize that until quite recently. And I challenged him in our friendship. And he's like, we haven't been friends for ages. I just can't be friends with you. Many reasons. One, there was the whole addiction thing. And he was just like, it hurts to watch you hurting yourself. I did lose a few friends over that period in my life. People who just couldn't bear to see me turning into a goblin. They just cut me off and they don't want to come back. That's okay. That's fine. They're, they're making a choice and I'm glad they're making the choice that feels best for them. And his parting comment was, it pisses me off when there are certain people around. There's quite a lot of them these days. I think he was talking about, you know, Trump loving, Q loving conspiracy theorists in inverted commas because conspiracy theorist was actually a phrase invented by the cia straight yeah. after jfk's assassination in order to shut down alternative dialogue in the streets genius well done them clever little bastards again i do take my hat off to, i do take my hat off to these people i am very impressed with the intricacy of their fantastic horrible plan well done and also you have failed because when they locked us in our houses loads of people sat in stillness and discovered that the heart is a doorway to zero point oops that's what kick-started the ascension process globally lockdown wow um dude. everything they do to try and take us over every single thing they do is going to backfire on them we're already on the ascension timeline and they know it this is just circumstances playing themselves out into that eventuality when love expands and expands just like in that um teaching from the Institute of Higher Consciousness until the darkness is so visceral and so hideous, but also so tiny. As the love reaches out and tries to cuddle it, the hatred goes, don't touch me, I don't want to be cuddled, it'll kill me. And the yeah. love says, but I, I love you. And then the darkness just gives up and falls into the light, neutralizing it, because this light is still not the true light, it's the false light. It's the flip side of that coin of duality. Darkness on one side, you know, these evil, evil people are simply the dualistic reflection of the spiritual people who prance around going, well, seriously, you know, like, until everyone's a vegan, we're all totally up the creek without a paddle, you know? God, can't believe they still eat meat. God, you know? The dark forces are just a reflection of that. It, 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 the, you know, the dark crystal, yeah, and yeah. the relationship between the Skeksis and the mystics. Yeah. They're joined. When a Skeksy dies, its corresponding, its corresponding mystic dies because they are part of the same coin. Two bodies experiencing two sides of one thing. I don't know what unity consciousness is going to look like when it comes for everybody and always, but I do know that it's exactly where we're on our way to and that there is no stopping it. And that is very pleasing, especially at a time when the world is a very scary place. Oh, wow. Holy very crow. And that's what gives me faith. That's how I, did, I, I generate faith inside myself and then can shine it out like a lighthouse over anyone who comes anywhere near me. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Simon Welsh, I mean, this time you just like, this went by, man. It really did go by quick. It um, did. It did. Yeah. To Two hours and 17 minutes. Dude, I think it was this. We started at noon, my time. This was a three hour podcast. They oh, three, have we done three hours? Yes. Yeah. And 17 minutes. Yes. Oh, wow. Not two hours. Oh, my goodness, Greg. I hardly know what to say. <laughs> this is Joe Rogan level, man. This is amazing. This is, this is, this is great. This is really great. Um, 
So yeah, if people want to get in touch with me via Trojan Horse to discover what Tantra can do, either in the physical, if you're in the UK, or in the mental, emotional, and spiritual, if you want to have really intensive uh, growth periods with me, um, it's uh, www.thetrojanhorse.uk. Do they get your erection? Do they get your erection in both versions? If somebody says to me during a session over the phone, I wish I was, I wish I was closer because I really can feel energetically that I'd like to get very physically close to you while you manhandle goblins out of me using your sexual energy to blast them to smithereens. My cock in that moment in whatever I'm wearing, usually trousers or shorts will wake up and go, daddy, are we being summoned? Or called, and I will just stand up on video phone and grab my now rather large bulge straight through my shorts to show it to the client and say, He wants it, you want it. Uh, COVID isn't allowing it, you're in another country, you can't afford to come right now, or but it's there when you need it. Wait a minute, so it's, wait. <laughs> it's, so, 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 no, I don't get my cock out, out. Um, but if someone said, Can I see it? I would, of course, say yes, because like, when I launched Trojan Horse, and it still happens, if you're a gay guy, by the way, listening to this, and you have a profile on Scruff, you will find me on Scruff, a purveyor of Trojan Horse, but I have to be careful because Scruff doesn't like us selling services. But it's quite happy for us to find places to get needles to inject crystal meth for sex parties. What is well, Scruff? Scruff? Is it like Grinder? Scruff is like Tinder on Grinder. Yeah, 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 yeah. Scruff is probably more popular than Grinder. Uh, there's a lot of faceless people on Grinder. Scruff is all about, you know, full frontal. Look at my chest. Look at my pecs. Look at my oh, shoulders. My lots gosh. of lots of hot bears and people. And everyone's there to connect. Usually, sexually first. Occasionally, people have it in their profile saying, um, "I'm looking for a reason to delete, delete this app. Are you my Mister Right?" But of course, I know when I read a profile like that 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 person is looking for a Lucifer to love. This is that dynamic that exists in the world. The Luciferian comes to the earth and goes, I want to do it on my own, which means I can't connect to God, but I do need God energy. So if there's someone going, oh, I've got so much stuff to give, can I give it all to you? I'll go, yes, you can. And I'll look at you in a way that makes you feel so special. You will make me your God and start giving me that energy. And then you can love and I can be loved and you can wash my hands and kiss my feet. Sorry, kiss my hands and wash my feet. Um, and then when I leave the room, you can go, where are you going? Are you coming back? And I'll go, yes, baby, don't worry. And feel special because of how desperately you need me. That's the, the, <laughs> that's the, that's the adored, adorer construct that's created by the two aspects of the Luciferian energy that haven't reconciled themselves with each other yet. Wow. And when you merge that in yourself by finding the part of yourself that believes itself to be completely unlovable, stepping either forward into your future to call forth your future self as an agent of spirit or upwards to call your higher self as an agent of spirit to be the person that speaks to the inner child and explains to the child you are worthy of love you've always been worthy of love i'm sorry it took me so long to come and get you i'm here now for real that relationship where you can love another from that place inside you where you feel empty and then you just get desperate for them that disappears because you've sealed the loop inside yourself, which means you're no longer susceptible to those glamorous, fabulous looking people who are really good at getting fans and people to adore them, but never meeting someone who can match them. 
-hmm. I can also work with people who have that Luciferian energy and don't know how it is that everyone always falls in love with them, kind of feels it's a curse, wish they didn't always fall in love with them because they're always going, breaking hearts. Some of these people don't know what it, what it is. Yeah. Everyone yeah. they date for 10 seconds falls in love with them and they have to keep running away and they've got stalkers, stalker ex-girlfriends and boyfriends in their way going, why don't you love me? I will sit with the binoculars outside your house. I love you. Please love me back. And you have to get restraining orders. I mean, if these people learn to connect to God, they would stop shining like a God and getting all those adorers to adore them. It's like if both people have that fixed to, to make happen. But anyway. I wonder, um, like, if we had just, you know, if we had spent, like, five minutes and you had just, like, you know, whipped out your erection on camera, like, would, I, would my world have changed? Um, <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, the only person who can answer that is you. And you can't answer that now because currently it's hypothetical. <laughs> could but you Greg, have gone on Facebook Live? But, but, we have done this but, on Facebook Live and you could have healed the world by dropping your pants. And that's what I'm wondering. No, no. No, that is not possible. I don't think. You're talking about doing things silently. I'm like, this guy is really talking a lot about like bringing, having an erection when he's working with people. Like, yeah. this, this is like a, you know, you don't really, you, I, it makes me wonder about the other tantric workers out there. Well, the fact is, the fact is I, I've, I've had to work through quite a deep process to get to this place that I'm at now that I can talk to you about it so candidly and without shame. And by the way, that doesn't mean shameless that means shame-free. There's three stages in shame. Shameful, shameless, and finally, shame-freedom. And that's where I live most of the time. There's nothing to prove because I'm not embarrassed anymore. That's shameless. Look, I'm not asking to see your erection if that's what this comes down to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you are curious, Greg. You are curious. And you haven't heard a porn poem yet, which could really, oh, really... What was God. the word you used earlier? Convert you. <laughs> no, it wouldn't convert you. But if there was any latent desire in you to get up close and personal, possibly naked, with another man for a good scruff, wrestle, tough, toughy, scruffy, like, like to, to uh, you know... I used to get turned on, right, when I was a kid. I didn't know what it was at the time. It was prepubescent sexual awakening, right? Watching Bambi, specifically the Disney Bambi, specifically the moment where these two male stags are clashing their antlers together, I think for the purposes of trying to impress a single female that they both want. Oh. I remember being far more interested in the exchange that was going on between the stags than what was this, this prize at the end of it. It's what, lady, lady dear, whatever. No, 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 the, the, the wrestling and the clash. And I used to be fascinated by WWF wrestling. I mean, I knew a, I knew a girl that said that she could only she was with a guy and he could only get off when he was watching uh, the circle of life. Okay, now that to me is a bit weird, but totally fascinating. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 are you talking about the beginning of the Lion King? Yeah, the animated Lion King. Yeah. He okay, right. Yeah, I, I think I figured that. Right. So he could only get off when he's um. Okay, so maybe, maybe he's um, an <laughs> indigo child. Maybe he's an indigo child who should, is supposed to be masturbating at sunrise on Ayers Rock so that he can uh, give his orgasm directly to the cosmic father in the sky. And uh, he doesn't know that. And then it's expressing itself through this moment in The Lion King. I mean, it's, it's always going to be something quite like that. Yeah. Like if he was my client, I'd say to him, have you ever masturbated without trying to, uh, trying to make sure that, that uh, there's no... Um, pornographic thoughts or anything like that in your head sitting in a place in nature as the sun rises and that would be a homework 
for a client who came to me and said, I can only get off when Circle of Life is playing. Oh my that, that, that would be the homework right there. Well, is it about the sunrise? Okay, is it about the animals? Huh. You know, if, you're, if your lover were to dress up in a lion, do you fancy lions? You know? So you actually, you know, you're working with, I mean, is that a problem? Like, like what if this person's what? very happy with that? Is it just for the people that are having issues with the stuff that you would give that homework to? Like people no, I give, I, I give homework to most clients. The clients who don't want homework are the ones who are very private about, um, they basically want Trojan Horse to stay in my, uh, my, my, my professional space and not then bleed into a homework relationship on the phone. Usually they have a partner, but uh, uh, no, not, not always. Uh, sometimes they just want the physical aspect of the work, right? And they understand that their spiritual awakening will be catalyzed and sped up if they embrace the homework aspect of the work. But they are actually happy with just knowing that there is someone who can climb all over them, kiss them, hold their face, uh, you know, it says in the literature of Trojan Horse on the website, you can hold on to my cock for comfort or security. But if I catch you attempting to um, uh, wank me off with friction-based masturbation, I will look at you over the glasses and sternly say to you, are you trying to map your regular route to arousal? We don't do that, do we? And then so they go into this, oh no, I'm so sorry, I've broken the container, I'm totally feeling like a pervert, ah! I'm like, it's quite all right. But this isn't about ejaculation. This is about holding the energetic frequency of being in a sexually awakened state and then using that sexual energy to power the instrument of your heart to make you a powerful manifester and an excellent cleaner of your own goblin houses that are lurking in your body that we're going to bash out of you and then you can let them run off down the bath plug at the end of the day when you get in the bath with salt in it. Wow. And what happens when someone starts to masturbate you is that there, something in their brain has gone, I want this experience to end soon. Ejaculation crowns the experience, and then it's over. Or uh, I need to know the other person is uh, feeling good, and I can't believe that they have had a rewarding experience unless I see ejaculate. Right? That's another one. Right, and all these right. the bullshit programming mechanisms that have been put in place by porn or the basic sexual education that was probably wrong that people got, all these things, they're not correct. Forcing an ejaculation because you want a sexual experience to end because you're knackered or you're tired or whatever is absolutely pointless, especially when if you ask most people and they're really honest and own up, they will say, well, actually, at the point with a partner or a lover or my husband or my wife, and I am masturbating to ejaculation, I often find my brain flashing through all the porn that I've watched for the hottest moments because I need that extra oomph to get me to ejaculate because I'm under pressure and my partner is going, come on, are you going to come? Come for me, come for me, or whatever they're doing, not helpful. And then what's happening? Happening. You're sitting with your partner, imagining porn so you can jizz and they can feel better about some trigger they've got to do with you needing to ejaculate so they know they've done their job well. Fuck off. That sounds like a terrible sex experience to me. <laughs> if people so we, get the, the way to the end of this episode, they're going to be tuned in for a treat, man. They, mean, they, I, they, thank you. I, I hope so. I hope so. But, but it's about helping people just let go of all of those habits. And then yeah. realize that actually sexual energy can be used as a tool for spiritual manifestation. Yeah. You can take your darkest, most unwholesome fantasies and stick them in the petrol tank and it comes out love and light. 
and you've learned to accept yourself as you are without worrying that you have to dump part of you before you're good enough to get into the kingdom of heaven. Wow. Okay. Right? Okay. It's all of you. You're all, you're, all of you is good enough to go. Some of it needs a wash. And that means turning on the lights, sticking all that gunk into your heart, and then letting it go, rum, 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 ping, ready. And it's all clean. And I can teach people how to do that. And yes, when my cock is hard and my hands are on them, <laughs> it's supercharged Reiki. It feels absolutely fabulous. And the sex addict in me, of course, is getting fulfilled. But he is not ever driving the instrument. I don't ever lose it with a client and go, oh, yeah, let's just wank each other off. It's, just, it's not acceptable. There's something passes through me in Trojan Horse and resides in me delivering the work. I can't do that. It's not possible. Do people sign a waiver? No. They just trust. You're not going to do that. I'm sure there are people that would abuse that. Oh, no, no, no. If, if I did that, they wouldn't have a problem. They'd be like, oh, that was fun. I would have a massive problem with it. I've just broken all my own rules. I am not worthy of my title. Wow. So wait a right, minute. I, that's crazy. Like, that with, 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 you know, and also with, with, with straight men as well, they're like, does it have a happy ending? Oh, my. You know, they, no, not really, not really. No, they see tantric massage. They read about all these sexy things. They see on the website that there's a possibility we'd be, we could be passionately kissing while I massage them so that we are indeed, in some aspect, making love together. We are. We're blending our hearts and we are making love together in the most literal sense you can imagine. Whilst I've got one hand uh, at the bottom of their spine, tracing a path up to here, over some shoulder, down this bit of the arm. I've got my eyes closed. We're in this embrace, but my arms and my hands and my legs, every part of me is consciously aware of itself and doing something to part of you. Gentle, firm, directed, un... Uh, what's the word? Un... <coughs> un knock off the pathable. <laughs> yeah. How many, um, how many straight men are actually... Like, I want to know the breakdown. You've got straight men, you've got gay men, you've got women. What is the breakdown? Well, at the moment, the breakdown is like 60% women, 30% gay men, uh, uh, and then I guess 10% straight men. No, there's probably 20% straight men at the moment. Um, but Would they admit it? to their wives would they say i saw this guy simon or is it like a secret of thing? yeah sometimes yes sometimes no wow but always the very interesting thing that i do with straight men which they really love because the straight men that come to see me most of them have a little bit of a homoerotic edge or curiosity right <laughs> and when they realize that right. they can get on the on the on the, it's a, the, the 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 process happens on a double mattress they can get on the mattress they get covered in coconut oil they get an incredible deep tissue massage at the same time they can handle my cock i won't try and, and shag them because there are rules that i can't break which means that whatever i do and however close i get they know it's safe and it won't go past a certain point, which allows them to relax into something that would otherwise feel like a potential violation and potentially the beginning of a rape, right? Yeah, yeah. A lot of men want to enjoy being manhandled by a man who is stronger than them because the part of them that wants to experience that homoerotic urge scratch itch needs to have their freedom taken away from them. So it's got to feel like a man is going, I don't care what you want. This is what I want and I'm going to take it from you. And now I'm going to put my hand over your mouth. Don't breathe. It's like, oh, yes, oh, my God, I'm terrified. And I feel like a sort of a gazelle that's about to be eaten by a lion, right? It's that kind. And you know those animals in the forest that play dead when they think they're about to get eaten? Those possums, they collapse, don't they? Yeah. It, it's that. Now, when a man does that with another man, 
who he trusts. And obviously people trust me because I'm their practitioner and there's this guarantee. He surrenders to either his inner child or his inner feminine just to get out of the experience. And then I work with the inner feminine in a man. Men, straight men who come to see me usually come to see me because they're trying to work out what's gone wrong in their sexual relationship with their wife. Mm. We, don't, we don't fancy each other like we used to. We're not having sex like we used to. And I'm like, uh, tell me about your wife. And while they tell me, I can feel the woman and I can feel her energy as a secondary coming from him because he's connected to her, right? And seven times out of 10, I would say, the woman is tired of her husband saying things like, is it all right if we have sex tonight? What a fucking turn off. Yeah. Whereas yeah. if that man were to roll over next to his woman in bed, put on a little bit of a cockney cheeky accent or whatever, like the way I do Rex Denial, work out how to step into the part of him that doesn't apologize for who he is, which is very sexy in sex, by the way, very sexy, it's confidence. And then look at his woman in the dark in the bed and say, I'm going to eat your pussy now and you're not going to breathe a word. She will go, oh my God, who is this? What have you done with my husband? I love it. <laughs> like, it's just seven times out of 10. Wow. The man why, has got to show her. Why not, Sorry? why not a woman tantric masseuse? Like why you, you think? What do you mean? You're speaking to me like I'm the only one. There are plenty of us all over the world doing different things. And I, there are I guess plenty I wonder why, they're, why, they're, why straight men would come see you unless they did actually have like that homoerotic kind of tendency. Or, or, or um, most men who come to most straight men who come to see me have something in them that is a bit homoerotic that they want to explore. Occasionally, I have seen a man who's like, actually, I, I do need to see a woman. Very occasionally. But because of the way you have to go through my website, read this introduction page, find your appropriate entrance into the maze, get to the center of the maze and then fill out a form before I'll even talk to you. The people that would not like my coaching style usually fall out of the process along the way to the center of the maze and I never even meet them. That makes sense. That makes so sense. I filter people before they meet me very thoroughly. And the people who end up at the center of the maze really enjoy the way I'm talking to them. It's a little bit bossy. Uh, 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 it, it, it's like, I know where I'm going. Follow me. Yes. yes. And they click on these options and they can see, and there's pictures of the maze. Like you can see the hedges and you can feel yourself going deeper and deeper. And you know, there's a trophy at the center of the maze on a pedestal. And then you get right to the middle and there's a feedback. Well done. You've got to, I, I've done it like the door to a mystery school because it is. So it needs to feel to people who discover it like something that they found their way to. And everybody who comes to see me or, or has me as a coach over the phone has a fantastic story about how they stumbled across my website. And it's always synchronistic and delightful to hear. Always. Wow. Well, Simon Welsh, you're, <laughs> you're converting straight people. No, I'm not. Do not say that. That's not correct. <laughs> I know. That's not true. I know. Good, good, true. good, good, um, good, good, good. You're, you're, I mean, there's, there's stuff going on with you whipping it out on camera, but like consensually and not in like a creepy way. Supposedly. You can't even say whipping it out because that immediately implies non-consensual. You're, you're loading these little, these little closing strap lines with danger for me, Greg. I'm just putting a flag in 
this part of the conversation now. This man, everybody, is slightly represencing things that I have said to make them sound not how I made them sound when I said them. Please go back and listen again. Thank you, Greg. <laughs> Cheeky man. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, but, massive, man. Um, no, dude, I, I, I yeah. really, I really have enjoyed talking to you. I mean, who knows? I, am I going to put this whole thing? I probably will at some point, probably after the election, um, just because I'm curious to hear what people think. Because, um, yeah, you definitely push, you know, I definitely like there's definitely parts of me that were like, ooh, oh, he's talking about Hillary in the forest. Like, oh, gosh. But at the same time, like, I do feel, Simon, that at the end of it all, that you are using these conversations, conspiracy, darkness, Lucifer, all this stuff as a way to hold people in the container of love. And yes. for that, I appreciate yes. you coming on. Oh, what a thing to say. Oh, Greg. <clears throat> I know we haven't met, but I think we just made love. Greg, thank <laughs> you. <laughs> I didn't even need to have you whip it. Okay, so look, this has been yeah! great. <laughs> thank you so much for coming on, Simon. I appreciate it. Pleasure. Take Come care. And uh, yeah, I, I, I'd love to. Take care. <laughs> Open loops. Open loops. Open loops. Open loops. Open loops. You must listen to the open loops, a theme park for absurd beliefs and systems of integration between the mind and the creative spirit. Open loops.